the garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990, powered by Palladio Home and Garden, with your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Good morning, gardeners, and welcome to Mid-South Gardening. Glad you can join us this morning. I'm Veda with Palladio. Yes, and I'm Kenneth with Dan West Garden Centers. You have a double shot of espresso in there? <laughs> I did. I did. Uh, I'm working on it. Good morning. I'm Jim Crowder, the other person here. <laughs> he always does Who's, that. What What other person? The other, the other one. person. You are listening to KWAM, Mid-South Gardening. AM 990. And good morning to y'all, and good morning to everybody out there listening, and I think it's going to be fairly hot today. Yes. It's going to be a hot week. Uh, I, mean, I was looking at the weather. The high is 91. Humidity's not 39%. I'm, that's not hot. Hold on. I mean, You're saying the humidity's only 39%? That's what, yeah. Is that today? Yeah. And I that's can all 41%. You know, I'm, I'm telling y'all, like, I believe the weather app. But, yeah. you know, it gets you similar. Well, and we've had it. Really good this whole year. I was providing I was in the right state. <laughs> <laughs> I but, have so many different states because, like, where a sister is or my son is or whatever. So I have all these different states picked to see what weather. So maybe I was looking at my northern family. Well, I had a kind of interesting week, you know, other than working, of course. Um, <laughs> when I, you know, I had, I had some projects that I really needed to get done. And one was to kind of clean up my crepe myrtles because I noticed the, <laughs> the other day when I was looking out the kitchen window, I could see some dead more than I'd really just, you know, noticed mm-hmm. uh, in these three crepe myrtles. So I get a ladder and I get out there and I start cutting all the dead tissue out. And I'm telling you, it's all winter damage because a lot of it was just fairly smaller limbs, yeah. uh, just dead as a hammer. So I, I cleaned all that out, but I did have a couple dead trunks also, y'all, that I had to saw out. They're about uh, two or three inches uh, in diameter, right? And both of the dead trunks that I cut out were full of ambrosia beetles. Really? really? Yes. And it was, thank uh, goodness, the, just the, the beetles the, or well, you the frass fr- yeah, coming okay. out, you know, sticking out all like, over. Wait. So I cut those things out of there, and then I noticed a good bit of the tissue, uh, the bark, really towards the bottom. Man, they were cracked, and and that mm. bark started fluffing off on, yeah. on every one of the trunks that I have. Half of the the bark, if you will, uh, I had to remove it. I mean, because it was just peeling off anyway. And this wasn't just exfoliating bark. I mean, this is bark that needed to be yeah. there. So oh, man, so we'll see. Huh. You know, we'll see how these things make it. And now they, you know, now that they're cleaned up, there's still a lot of you know green growth, and there's even some few blooms with a few Japanese beetles on them, believe it or not. Um, but I'm just curious to see how you know they make it through this this summer when it gets really hot. Of course, I'm gonna keep them watered like I should. Well, keep I've them- noticed that the crepe myrtles <clears throat> that don't get as tall, <clears throat> kind of umbrella out, branch out, they fared really well. But any of them that are upright. The uprights are dead at the tops. That's because that's how it is at um, at work. All of our canopy ones, the ones that look like umbrellas, no issues. But then we have three that are upright and they're just dead at the top. And then I started looking around and I'm noticing that. Yeah. It must be a variety thing. I don't know. I mean, but it could you, be uh, along Bartlett Boulevard. They have planted them where, they, where it goes over. Uh, I mean, Kirby Wedding, where it goes over the railroad track there. They alternated different varieties of crepe myrtles, and the lavender, Okay, all of them look bad. I'm raising my hand here. Yeah. Mine's lavender. Yeah. Uh, 
Thank you, Jim. You didn't tell me this. <laughs> the whites and We're the pinks. We're just now seeing you know, this yeah, and, and like Kenneth said, I can see a little dead in the top. Mm-hmm. It's kind of uh-huh. curled in. Yeah, yeah. But the lavenders have don't have 50% of the foliage that they should mm-hmm. have. Mm-hmm. So, um, well, that's exactly what's going on with mine. Yep. And uh-huh. because they are, are lavender. And so uh, we'll see. I mean, I've got them all cleaned up, and I cut all that, you know, <laughs> The dead trunks out of there that had frass sticking out everywhere. I'm like, man. You're going to give it some of the micro brew or the kangaroots or something just to try to try to boost the microorganisms and the soil or the food process to the plant. Keep them as strong maybe. and healthy as I can. And, and they don't have near the bloom um, that they even yeah. had last year. And, of course, I know mm-hmm. I still got some that are coming on as far as the, you know, the blooms, but... I mean, they little did I know how much of a beating they took this past yeah. winter. Uh, because there again, if you look around town, like Jim said, most of the crepe myrtles they look fine. They look pretty good. But yeah. um, if you've got lavender yeah. <laughs> blooming Uh-oh. crepe myrtles, go out there, take a good long look at them, and, and clean them up as best you can. You know, there's so many colors of crepe myrtles, but we only have a few colors here in the mid south. It seems like well, you don't you see lavender less. And lavender's like my favorite color. And there's all the yeah. pinks and the reds and, of course, mostly and whites white. that you see around yeah. here. But, uh, Jim, I mean, you know, in the ambrosia beetles uh, are the the frass that I saw coming out of these uh, this, these dead trunks. Um, I mean, it doesn't appear they're in the live trunks at all. That's what I'm thinking. It's, they're just they're getting advantage into, of the, into stressed wood. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's, you know, that's what we're seeing on figs, the fig trees that where the, the whole stem has died. They're just eating them up. So, so I mean, it might not have to go out there and do any spraying or any drenching right. to protect the rest of this crepe myrtle. So, I mean, I'll keep my eyes open, of course. They're not interested in the healthy part. Well, you know, like plants make noise when they need water. Well, they also make noise when they're dying, and that's one of the ways insects can um, pick up where to go is by following the sound and it's not like you know there was something else in her espresso this <laughs> well <laughs> it's not like these crepe myrtles were weak you know when they went into dormancy last year i mean they're they're healthy crepe myrtles uh but it was just that 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 flash freeze that came through and i'm just i'm more really more concerned about the sloughing of the bark at the yeah. bottom of yeah. these trunks i mean every one of them Half of that bark is gone. And not the bark that's supposed to come off. No. Because, you know, y'all will see that this year, and that doesn't mean it was winter damage because bark does slough off of crepe myrtles. But after some more that, than yeah, after that, it shouldn't be coming off anymore. Ooh, mm, well. So we'll see. I'll keep you informed on, on how all this goes, you mm. know. I see that one cryptomeria is flushing out a little bit that I've been watching by the, uh, it's, it's, by, it's on a hill. By a road, by the woods, by a pond. And we're talking about cryptomeria, the evergreen trees that took a beating. And I had a gentleman call me yesterday also that he works for a big landscape company. And he was like, Jim was telling, saying something a week or a couple of weeks ago, that he has seen some new growth on the tips of the limbs. Okay, not mm-hmm. right close to the trunk, but out towards the tips. Not a lot, but he's seeing growth that he has not seen before. And he was asking me about that. He called me, and I said, man, well, you know, if you're seeing new growth, I mean, there's hope. I don't think there's a lot of hope there, mm-hmm. but I, there's hope. Now, it might be a situation where he has to wait two or three years to really right. see if these things right. are going to flush out. But I said, man, if you're seeing green, uh, you know, that's that's hope for me. You know, in a way, it would 
oh, would I wait? Especially if they were tall and blocking somewhere again, I would say it would be worth waiting a while to have these really big, tall ones flush out. But that would be a while to wait. And then what if you waited all that time and it flushed, but just couldn't do it anymore? Well, my big thing is if I had 10 of them out there, I'm waiting. If I've only got one, I'm cutting that thing down, you know? Right. So uh, we'll see. I mean, you know, I, I still don't. I mean, just I don't know why I'm saying this, but I still don't think they're going to make it. Mm. Yeah, but, I know. But I, I think, know. I mean, but like I said, I mean, if you're patient, you know, you can live with that look. Uh, and these are screening. So uh, I said, you got everything to gain and nothing to lose by waiting to see what happens, because you are seeing growth that wasn't there a month ago, which means there is some live tissue yeah. in there. Now, whether that's just residual, Jim, you know, carbohydrates in there, we'll see. Yeah, t- yesterday, uh, Thursday we worked at the house and took out a whole bunch of stuff that was like the big camellia that I had, my big japonica. And it <clears throat> it actually has about three-inch growth down coming up off the roots, so that one may survive. Out of all the other 11 or 12 that I cut down, yeah, I see growth on two. So, you know, I... Ooh. Well, it's kind of depressing. Yeah, that just made but me depressed. <laughs> one of the things that surprised me, I had a huge um, button bush mm-hmm. when a trunk is as big as my wrist that died. And and I got a little dwarf sugar shack one out front, and it did fine. It wasn't damaged at all. Hmm. So, yeah, sometimes it's along that our same, location, yeah. It's along that same property line where I have a lot of stuff die. Mm. Uh-huh, mm-hmm. the property line. <laughs> That property line death, doesn't that have a name for it? Something like neighbor, <laughs> gardening? <laughs> I don't know. Okay. Yeah. But we'll All see. Right. I mean, yeah, I just, we'll you know, hope these crepe myrtles, I mean, it's not that I can't cut them down, dig them up, and replant new crepe myrtles, but then, you know, I'm starting over. Mm-hmm. Kind of like with the cryptomerias, you know? So, and they've already got their height to them, and they're pruned up, and they look good, you know, yeah. what's left of them. So, you know, we'll see. I hope they hope they make it through this summer. Well, let's run to a break. Y'all give us a call. You can call us, 901-260-5926. You can also go to uh, the Mighty 990 app and go or go to Facebook Live and post a question there. We'll be right back after these messages. Good morning, gardeners. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Give us a call, 901-260-5926. If you don't want to be on air, just give Philip the question. He'll post it up for us. And oh, my word, y'all. It's hard to get or be careful confusing or thinking your arborvitae has winter damage versus bagworm damage. Yeah, I wrote that down in my notes today. I mean, ew. They were, um, I looked up at the nursery and I thought, I don't really remember that arborvita having some issues with mm-hmm. winter. So the closer I got, you could see the plant moving, basically. Mm-hmm. The backsides were getting it. Had um, maple trees sitting between them. So we pulled the maple trees out. And there was like one or two little bagworms on that. But on the arborvitas, there were so many. And then, so I started checking some of the others on the lot. Man, bagworms everywhere, but we sprayed the uh, Captain Jack's mm-hmm. dead the bug mm-hmm. The trees don't move anymore. I tell you what. It, it's, I, I was really amazed at that, but I need to go back and spray again, don't, don't do you think? Yeah, probably. Uh, yeah. I had a gentleman bring me in a picture yeah. uh, of his arborvita, and already half of this arborvita was brown. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. And then he's like, Kenny, what do you think? And I said, right before I was going to say, you better check. He pulled out a baggie. <laughs> he said, yeah. do, do you think this is the problem? <laughs> I said, yes. Yeah. And he had a baggie full of these little bitty little bagworms. I mean, baby bagworms. And they were small. Okay. So you got to really get up there and look to see them. But he had them by the thousands. Mm-hmm. I mean, and I said, yes, these are caterpillars that were, that are eating the green tissue off of your arbovita. And they'll get on other things, but like you said, they love Arbovitis Veda, Jim. You know that. So I said, yeah, get out there and spray them, whether it's uh, BT, Spinosad, Permethrin, any of those products would kill bagworms. And I said, you've got to get out there and spray. Yeah. And just like you alluded to, Veda, you want to go out there about 10 days later and make sure you spray again. And I'm talking about really keep your eyes uh, peeled for these dang bagworms because mm-hmm. they will. You, well, The thing is, you don't notice you have them yes, until there's a problem, That's you know. A- Uh, especially when they're really young like that. Now, later on in life, they'll get big, you know, if you don't do anything about it. Little Christmas ornaments, long Christmas ornaments hanging off your tree. And that's what it looks like. I mean, they they go in there and start eating the tissue, and then they build this cocoon around Mm -hmm. themselves. And all it is is a caterpillar in there. Man, there were so many. There would be absolutely no green left for them to hang on to. There absolutely would not. You're I've exactly never, right. I've never, never seen so many. I mean, this definitely already is the year of the bagworm, I'm telling yeah. you. So if you've got so. green arbovitas, and whether you see any damage or not, you go out there and, and take a good close look at them. If you see these little, like you said, little things moving around, um, you've got bagworms on there, and you've got to spray to get rid of them. You know, if you start reading about bagworms, Jim, Veda, you know, they say one thing you do is pick them off. Well, <laughs> you're not yeah. picking these things off. I mean, there's just, you can't, no, they, you can't get them off. They're, they're definitely trying to kill that whole tree out. They're just not kind of hanging out. Because, I mean, you see sometimes good, healthy trees, but you see a few bagworms hanging off of it. But the trees are real healthy and they can pretty much resist it. But <clears> this, no way. And that, there's so many. And I'm wondering, you know, is... There again, are, are plants, are all plants out there stressed? No, you know, after this our past winter, aren't. a lot of them are, yeah. And so is that why we're maybe seeing so much of this insect damage, you mm-hmm. know? I mean, cause I've, I've never, to the extent that I'm seeing bagworms, for example, on arbovitis. I mean, much more than in years past. And we're seeing that with fungus, everything, huh? You know, I'm seeing lots of uh, Phomopsis tip blight on junipers mm-hmm. and arborvitaes. Um, of course, with the the volutella on boxwood. Oh yeah, which is it's big. just all of these plants have, were stressed from that flash freeze, and that's just a, a an open invitation for these things that are normally always there, right? Mm-hmm. But they're not there in enough numbers to be able to hurt anything. Yeah. And we had. Not only the flash freeze, but we didn't have much, very much cold after that, mm-hmm. you know. Well, you know, like we always want to see winters where it warms up for a week and then gets bitterly cold. Mm-hmm. And then it warms up for a week, get bit bitterly cold. And you start wiping out the early uh, insect and fungal issues uh, so that by the time the season starts, you've got a significantly reduced population of the nasties. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but you know, everything took off. We had generations early. Um, and so there's just lots of stuff out there going to be a good year for insecticides. Yeah. And you mentioned a uh, volutella blight on boxwoods. 
every day, every day, people are coming in with uh, samples of, uh, you know, dead tissue on their boxwoods. And this is tissue that wasn't there, the dead tissue that wasn't there after the flash freeze. This tissue is, I mean, this is dying now. And, uh, you know, if you read about volutella blight, and I know we've talked about this, it, it is a blight of opportunity. The blight's always out there. Mm-hmm. It's just when conditions are right and plants are stressed, mm-hmm. uh, they are susceptible to this blight. And what are they saying, Jim? Get in there with a pair of snips and, and selectively cut all this blight tissue out of there, but make sure you sterilize the blade between cuts yep. with alcohol, Clorox, anything like that. And then get in there and spray with copper, dacanil, or propiconazole. Any of those fungicides are fine. But is it something that we'll ever get rid of on the boxwood? Well, they're going to always be there, uh, same thing. But if you can write over the next six to eight weeks or so, if you can break their life cycle, then I think we'll be back in a better situation. So that at least next year when it starts, the plants will be stronger, and hopefully we won't see as much damage on it. Mm. Yeah, I was talking to a, a lawn care company guy, too, and I asked him if he was seeing damage in lawns. And he said, yep, seeing a lot of damage in lawns from the winter. And I said, was it more um, zoysia or more Bermuda? And he said, just across the board. It's just both kinds of, of grass. So there's lawn damage, and we'll start seeing more of it as we get warmer as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah. you know, and also we've got people that you know they'll bring in pictures on their phone, and just this this week, uh, but I've had six or eight people bring in with dead tissue in their lawn. Okay, and you know, unfortunately, when we're looking at a picture on a phone and you're seeing the lawn that has these splotched brown spots out there, well, typically, you know, if you can rule out fertilizer damage, weed killer damage, dog urine, those kind of things, it usually comes down to insect or disease, right? Well, I tell them, I say, look, go home, get on your hands and knees, peel the blades of the grass back, and see (laughs) Uh if you see any bill bugs or or any insect activity. If you don't see anything, then also dig a little core of dirt out of the the yard, pull it up, break it apart, and see if you've got a handful of grubs. Mm -hmm. Now, if you can rule out insect damage, then you probably have a fungal problem, and that's when you need to put a fungicide down. And out of probably eight of the people that I talked to, every one of them went home and checked and couldn't find any insect damage whatsoever. Every one of them had fungal problems. Yeah. And there you're talking about things being weak. Our lawns are weak also this year. There mm-hmm. again, because of the, the wet or maybe the you know the flash freeze we had – so there's a lot of fungal activity also going in, in on people's lawns, guys. Yeah, this uh, Thursday night, Chris Cooper on his program um, was talking about red thread, and they're seeing an awful lot of that where you've just got small little patches of brown. Um, of course, red thread's not a serious problem. As it heats up, it'll go away. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's, it's really unsightly, you know, if you've got a yard full of it. And that's a type so, of rust, Jim. Ooh, I've it, never it's seen similar, that. Yeah. And, it, and you can tell it. when you pick it up, you can see little red threads yeah. on it. You Interesting. Know? So it's um, just one of the many uh, opportunities we have to experiment with uh, the, the marvelous world of chemicals. <laughs> marvelous <Right>. world. <laughs> but I, but, well. it, but it kind of shocked me that on every one of them, uh, mm-hmm. none of it was insect damage. And, and we know there's a lot of grubs out there also, and grubs are a problem. And it's like Jim always said, it's not really the Japanese beetle that's the problem. It's the grub. 
Uh, and that's where the Japanese beetle comes from. He's the one that does all the damage. So um, be on the lookout. If you have a fungal problem, then thank goodness there are some granulated or liquid fungicides you can right. apply. I would definitely spray my lawn with, like, the microbrew, some, some type of liquid fertilizer that's got the microorganisms in it. Uh, how about the granule humate? Add some more humates to your soil. Get the carbon going. Get everything active in the soil to help. Just even if maybe those patches of grass aren't going to recover, when you put new grass in, if your soil's nice, then that new grass is going to take a hold quicker as well. Plus, you know, you're giving a lot of energy to what you have already, and we know everything needs extra energy right now. So other than just your typical lawn maintenance, you know, making sure the pH is up where it needs to be, water as needed, of course, uh, feeding the lawn with just a general high nitrate fertilizer. You're saying better even take it to a step further is go out there and apply what they call a uh, soil activator, yeah. uh, which is that humic acid. Mm-hmm. You know, put a bag of that stuff down. You put it out with a spreader and then come back and spray. Yeah, use with, the microbrew. You know, yeah. it's got a lot of the mycorrhizan or stuff in there. Or the seaweed, any of the products that have the seaweeds in it, too. Yeah, add some of that also. Um what type of the synthetic fertilizer do we have to be careful with the high nitrogen Not with really, our lawn because, like yeah. this? Or is this be- well, yeah, if, if you have a fungal issue and you know you do, it's best not to fertilize at all. Okay. Period. All we'll right, talk y'all. about that. We'll yeah. be right back. 260-5926. Hey, welcome back, everybody. To Mid South Gardening. If you want to give us a call, 901 260 5926. 901 260 5926. And of course, you can always go to Facebook and shoot us a text there. And Jim, before we went to the break, we were talking about a lot of the fungal pathogens that we're seeing in people's lawns. And, uh, you know, we're, of course, you know, putting a fungicide down to, you know, arrest those, uh, those pathogens. But you were saying, and Veda made the comment about putting a fertilizer down. And typically when you put a lawn food down, it's going to have a fairly high first number of nitrogen. Yeah, even and, if it's a slow release, because grass typically likes a ratio of about 7-1-1. Yeah, and like a twenty four zero four something like right. that. But you made the comment, which is true, why should you not be putting a fertilizer down if you think you might have a fungal pathogen? Well, by putting the nitrogen down, you're going to speed decomposition of all the dead tissue, grass, and everything that's laying there on your soil surface. And that's just like feeding the the, the fungus, just giving the fungus a you know a free card here. Mm-hmm. Eat all you want. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so no, you shouldn't really fertilize uh, until you've sprayed a, at least a couple of times, gotten it to where it's somewhat healthier, uh, and then just light doses until it recovers. So you want to be careful. Right. You can. You can really do more damage than good by trying to help your grass. Yeah. yeah. And then what I'm talking about using is is not pushing food to the plant immediately. It's just um, amending the soil with uh, the natural fertilizers and all. So I'm giving it a good base. And that's why I was asking, can we give it a spike? And you say maybe not. Well, <laughs> Probably not. Definitely not. Not, not, not if maybe. you think you've got a fungus not. out yeah. there. And because there again, most of your synthetic lawn foods. 
I mean, they are going to have a good bit of nitrogen because that's what the grass feeds on, of course, this time of year. And nitrogen is what makes it green and makes it grow. But typically, you know, most of the nitrogen that is in a lawn food, typically speaking, most of that nitrogen is going to be a slow release. Mm -hmm. Just a small portion of it is going to be a quick release. So when you put it out, you water it in, you do get that immediate effect. But also you get that very long lasting nitrate, which will feed for about six weeks. And that's the, you know, the beauty but like you and, and organics do the same thing, of course, beta. But like you're saying, if you've got a fungal pathogen out there, stay away from nitrogen. And let me say this also: if you get too much nitrogen down in your lawn, you know a lot of us we're all guilty of that. Hey, if you know if one bag is great, two bags must be better, right? You can that will create a fungal environment. Mm. So yeah. You know, so and then also when you use two bags, when the directions are one bag, then the plant's not utilizing everything. So you're kind of wasting your money by letting it just run off or leach out. Yeah. And you particularly want to stay away from what we call agricultural fertilizers, things like six twelve twelve, triple thirteen that you buy in fifty pound bags and they're relatively cheap. That's all ammoniacal nitrogen, all quick release. You know, in fact, most of it, if if it's raining, you're going to get maybe three to five days out of it that's about mm-hmm. it i mean between the grass and the and the microbes they're going to eat it all up um and so you're really going to create a problem if you use a, a cheaply made fertilizer and it's not that you can't use it jim you're just saying there's much better fertilizers out there to use yeah, well yeah you can use it you know it's just most people think about you know i'm going to go fertilize my front yard i said and i've always done you know 50 pounds on the front yard. Right. Well, you know, look at the, what's in it before you start applying 50 pounds fertilizer. Because, <laughs> you know, if you're buying a fairly decent lawn fertilizer and you're buying 50 pounds, you're going to have probably four times as much nitrogen. Yes. You know, so you want to, when all else fails, read the label. Yeah. yeah. Less over-fertilizing makes you water more. And, of course, over-fertilizing makes it easier for insect and disease problems to come along too. So just remember that. It you know, just think about it as don't waste your money as well. And then your time or your water or your energy <laughs> just because you're wanting thinking that you're making it better. Now don't get us wrong. Twice. We will take your money. This is true. <laughs> we will. And what about uh, moss growing? Uh, and it seems like, I don't know why, this year I'm seeing a lot of, uh, well, a lot of customers are coming in complaining about moss. And, you know, in some, in some situations, in, in a few, uh, I think it's better to go with moss than try to fight it, you know? I know. Yeah, if it the environment so, is yeah. what it is and, and you're trying to grow grass there and it just doesn't want to grow there, but the moss does, you know, there's nothing wrong with having, you know, a nice patch of moss. But if you've got an area where you do have moss growing uh, and you want to get rid of it, you know, I always tell people, yes, there are products that you can buy like Moss Max, for example, that will kill moss, okay? But then you got to think, why is the moss growing there anyway? Mm-hmm. And you got to get rid of the root cause. And a lot of times, you know, shade, sometimes you can't do anything about the shade. You yeah, know? more importantly, you want to know why is the grass not growing Exactly, there? exactly, Jim. <laughs> and that's why the moss is growing Each there. Each question is valid. Mm-hmm. But usually it comes down to shade, compaction, and pH. And, you know, the soil is definitely becoming compact when you see moss growing. So really getting in there and uh, aerating the soil, tilling the soil, uh, loosening the soil in some way. Uh, and then the pH, making sure that the pH is up where it needs to be. And for typical lawns around here, the pH should be around, 
you know, six and a half, for example. And usually you'll find that pH much lower. So if you've got moss growing and you don't want it, then aeration, usually adding lime to bring that pH up to make it less conducive for that moss to grow there. And if you can create more sunlight in those areas, Veda, as you know, but I've seen some lawns that are absolutely beautiful. They're nothing but moss. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Just let, because it is a lot of extra work to try to get rid of the moss. And, you know, when you're going against nature, then that's change. extra work. Yeah. Yeah, better change. So better change the environment. Yeah, you've got to change the whole soil structure, really. Add some compost. Try to put some other stuff back into the soil also. Uh, maybe that would help with the moss. Well, it would. It, not growing. And I mentioned the aeration part. You know, you can get the the ones that pull up the plugs yeah. of soil. And then if you come back, and then when it rains, the, the plugs melt and they kind of fall back into the hole. So you are definitely loosening your soil. But you're right, Veda. You can, some people will come back and put a light layer of compost down. That compost will also fall down yes, in those holes. Yes. And that will help keep that clay separated right. for a while. So you're definitely loosening your soil structure. Yeah, because yeah, when you're pulling the plugs out, the soil can expand, which can add some mm-hmm. air back into it. And then when you're dropping the compost down in there, the soil, mm-hmm. the clay soil is expanding with the compost. And so then you start you this process. You get loose Yeah, you start this process. But pH is really important uh, when, when you're talking about uh, moss also. But like I said, you can go out there and kill the moss. That's the easy thing to do. But if that's all you do, it's going to come back. So keep that in mind. And again, pre-emergence. We still want to. I want y'all to use pre-emergence so you don't have to deal with killing the weeds so much. I've had a, I had two calls this week wanting to know what you can spray to kill the weeds but not kill your flowers. Well, <laughs> not really anything. Well, there are some things. I mean, if if it's grass like Bermuda grass, we have some products we can spray over the top of most plants, uh, and it won't won't injure them. Um, we're a little more limited on broadleaf weeds. Mm-hmm. You know, there's some things that we could spray over ground covers yeah. for broadleaf weeds. Y'all are reading my notes. Really I'm telling you, I've got did, right did, here. You had vinca and, you know, and I, patient, I can't even hardly right. see your face from my, 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 The first thing I've got in my notes is weeds growing in monkey grass, etc. And just like y'all are just saying. Well, I'm talking about like in your petunias and vinca beds. Mm-mm. You better right? get out there There's, and do some hand weeding mm-hmm. and put that pre-emergent yeah. down, like you said, to keep the yeah. weed seed from coming back. There is a product, um, Bassagran. Mm-hmm. Do you still have mm-hmm. that? Yes, I hadn't heard in that I, I see it still offered through some of these mail-order companies um, that uh, would kill, it kills nut grass and it also kills some broadleaf weeds. And it was... It had a, a fairly decent label to be able to spray over even some wildflowers. Um, but, again, I don't know where you'd find it locally. Uh, Why are it, we not having Bassagran available anymore? I think because for a homeowner, the market mm-hmm. was too small. Yeah. You know, you can go to your co-op and buy a five-gallon can, you know, mm-hmm. if you uh, are last independently you, wealthy. And <laughs> <laughs> it'll last you three generations. Yeah. yeah. But, but when we do get back from the break, I mean, we'll talk about the products that you can use um, in a lot of the ground covers, like monkey grass, for example, which you can use to, to get in there and kill those weeds and not hurt, for example, monkey grass. And like Jim was saying, there's, there's, t- there's two that I want to talk about. There's one that kills grasses, and there's one that also kills broadleaf weeds. Mm-hmm. Uh, but to me, like you just said, the pre-emergence out of all those are the most important because once you do get a bed clean – 
you put that pre-emergent down, it's going to keep that weed seed from coming up. Now, not all weeds come up from seed. I get that, but most of them do. Oh, my goodness. I know my sister, she pulls weeds like um, she's doing people's beds, and all she's going to do is pull weeds. And she was like, you have to basically get down like a cat and look up under your plants to get all the weeds out. Or, you know, so uh, I got her a shuffle hoe. Scuffle hoe, shuffle hoe. A scuffle hoe like a hula hoe. Yeah, the hula hoe. And, uh, man, y'all got to try that. That works good. I mean, that helps. That gets the roots and all, but not if you let the weeds get really tall. And maybe not on all the weeds, but that helps a lot. You can just sit on your stool and just scrub that across the ground. (laughs) All right, to a break. Give us a call, 901-260-5926. Good morning, gardeners. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Glad you can join us. You can listen to our podcast anytime, and um, you can stream us online, Mighty990.com. You can put that app on your phone, and you can listen to us that way. Yeah, and if you want to give us a, a call, 901-260-5926, 901-260-5926. And real quick, you're talking about the weeds, Veda. Um, a lot of people do have, uh, in this ex- case, you know, monkey grass beds, okay? And it's not just monkey grass. There's other ground covers, but we're going to talk about monkey grass. And they've got, let's say they got grassy weeds growing in the monkey grass and Bermuda grass mm-hmm. or crab grass or whatever. Jim mentioned the product called Over the Top. You can spray over the top in monkey grass, and it will kill all the grasses in there and not hurt the monkey grass, which is a beautiful thing, I'm telling you. I don't know if you've ever tried to weed monkey grass before, and it's mm-hmm. not an easy thing to do. Mm-hmm. And then let's say you've got broadleaf weeds like dandelions and clover and those kind of things, violets, for example, growing in your monkey grass. Uh, and then that's where image comes into play. You know, typically image we use as a weed killer, mostly for our Bermuda and Zoysia lawns, right? But it's amazing how we can use it in certain, around and on certain plants that it won't hurt. Just Mm -hmm. makes no sense, but it works, okay? So image, if you're having, uh, you know, nut grass or, and you get a lot of nut grass and monkey grass too, believe it or not, or broadleaf weeds, and then over the top for more grassy weeds in these ground covers. But I always tell people, like you said a while ago, Veda, once you get a bed clean, once it's clean, that's the time to put the pre-emergent down. Because when you put a pre-emergent down and water it in, it forms a chemical barrier, okay? And if you go out there and start pulling weeds mm-hmm. after the fact, you're creating a hole in that barrier every time you pull a weed out. So I'm thinking if I clean my bed and then I'm going to mulch it, I'll do that, then put my pre-emergent mm-hmm. on top of my mulch. Because weed then, seeds blow in on top of that yeah. mulch all day long. So, And mulch also helps suppress weeds all by itself. Yeah, that's true. I had somebody tell me the other day they just couldn't they just couldn't believe how much uh, moisture mulch retained that that they started using mulch in their bed and they got to cut their watering back some. And I was like, wait, well now how much mulch are you using? But they they were doing it proper, half an inch to an inch. But it just buys you a little bit more time. Sure, it does. And then let me say this: when you put a pre-emergent down, and Jim, you know this. Typically, depending on how heavy you put that pre-emergent down, Veda is. Is going to determine how long it's going to last. And normally, it's about a three-month residual. If you put it down a little heavier, which you've got to be careful, 
it can go up to like a four month residual. How does Mike putting it out have you? So that would be against label or no? It, and it's got different it's rates. It's labeled. That way. Yeah, it's labeled. So, I mean, oh, that's cool. Whatever so it's got rate you put rates. it down, yeah. yeah. But if you put it down too heavy mm-hmm. uh, on any pre-emergent, uh, you can do some root pruning on the desirable things that you have out there, whether it's your lawn or your bedding plants. So it's not one of those things that you want to just guess at. You want to put it down at the rate they call for. But it's going to have at least a three-month residual. So that doesn't mean that you do it one time and forget about it. About every three months, go out there and apply that pre-emergent. And if you want to keep that residual going to keep those weed seeds from germinating. Now, Jim, we mm-hmm. always get the question, not all weeds come up from seeds. You know, That's, that's true. So if you put the pre-emergent down. Mm-hmm. It isn't going to stop your Bermuda grass from encroaching into your bed. Yes. Oh, okay. my goodness. Just Everybody just hopes for that. But no, mm. it's definitely not going to work. Mm. So it's still back to hand pulling Bermuda grass. And after the rain is about your only best time to do that. Mm-hmm. And y'all, you know what? If you need to weed today would be the day to weed before we're really starting to get into the intense heat. Yeah, but, I would water and get it muddy and then go back yeah. out and do oh yeah much I, much easier and see i'd go out there with uh you know and spot treat with roundup and spot treat only knowing mm-hmm. roundup kills anything that it touches because i hate trying to get bermuda out of beds i hate it yeah now over the top the mention the product that we mentioned while ago over the top kills bermuda i don't think it does a good job on bermuda uh, on zoysia but it, it will kill it, bermuda it'll metabolize it and come out of it in fact the <laughs> the commercial label has uh, is labeled for bermuda removal in zoysia lawns mm-hmm. so that uh you can stop it from you know i have never bought any sod that didn't zoysia sod didn't have bermuda in it mm-hmm. i mean it's it, i you know i don't know how it happens but you know off the blades of the cutters or something but you know i put down royal zoysia in this pathway around my uh cutting garden and uh you know and it, it's six feet to any uh, Bermuda, but mm-hmm. there's sure some in there. Yeah, so. like I said, it never fails, Jim. Yeah. But but over the top, that kills grasses. Like I said, I've had people come in and say, hey, I've got zoysia encroaching in my beds. Will this product kill it? The answer is it won't. Yeah. There's the best thing to do is, is, you know, put that Dixie cup on the end of your sprayer and put a little Roundup in there and put it right on the ground and squirt it. And see, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. You know? Don't even have to bend over. <laughs> That's the way gardening should yeah. be. Shouldn't have to get on your knees. <laughs> and then, and, and then Roundup, we all know, is fixing. You know, it's coming off the market as far as homeowner sales. Okay, what's in it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, there so will be other products that you can okay. buy that will work similar to Roundup. So there's Finale. Yeah, is there and, Finale and still Roundup out? will still be available. They're just going to change the ingredients. Yeah, the Roundup name will still be there. So, so Roundup going to use the finale ingredient? Mm-hmm. They're going to use glufosinate instead yeah. of glyphosate. Right, because I've always been good, like, in the organic program. There's so many levels of organic mm-hmm. programs. But the the finale was one that was considered, if you really needed to use something, you could go more finale if you were in the organic community. And it's very similar to a Roundup yeah. product. Uh, the Fertilone came out with it, and it's under the name of Decimate now. Uh, which uh, is the finale? Yeah, under which is decimate. the old finale? Oh, I like yeah, the name finale. Decimate. 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 So, but no. but the big difference is uh, finale, decimate, and those other products that are going to be replacing what we use as Roundup. 
Uh, they're not truly systemic like Roundup. You know, the beauty of Roundup, it will go down and kill the root and everything. Where these are, it, they're not systemic, but they're not completely not systemic, okay? <laughs> so you can get some uh, root growth that will come back. So it's, it, we'll have to wait and see how, how all this shakes out as far as you know, us controlling weeds the same way that we used to use Roundup. We might have to go out there and just use it more often on these other type products. We'll see, you know? Yeah. Well, you know, gardening is always experimenting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's what I say if something goes wrong in my garden. Oh, it was an experiment. And then like Veda, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you know, if you want to go the organic route, uh, there are some spot treatments that you can surely use. I mean, there's the uh, 30% vinegar. Mm-hmm. Uh, that will burn and kill weeds. I promise you it will. And also it would do it. Burn your skin, too. Yes, so be will, careful. And it, it would do it within a, a day's time, uh, which is what I love. I want to see the weed dying before I, before I, before the end of the yeah. day. You, you know? actually, it's, well, you know, definitely that vinegar is not going to control a bunch of tall grassy weeds. Mm-hmm. But when you're spraying, well, it could, yeah. But, you know, when you're day. spraying your small little weeds, you can, by the end of the day, they're black and all. Dead, so you kind of get some satisfaction quickly. And then there's the <laughs> sea salt times ten. Yeah. This is water that is so salty it will flat out kill weeds. Okay. What do I got to do for my soil to bring? That does just do. Do I need to add some organic matter to get the salinity no, out of this? The, the water would just you know dilute it, it out. Yeah. Let's see. That's awesome. And then yeah. uh, you know there are the the burnout type products mm-hmm. uh, that have like citric acid and those things in there that are completely organic also. So there's there's more products out there that we can use to spot treat. Um, so like I said, with, without Roundup, uh, and Jim, you know, is under the belief that, you know, first of all, they shouldn't be taking Roundup off the market to start with, but that's a whole nother story. Um, and I agree with Jim, by the way, <laughs> but... We'll have to wait and see how these other products uh, work. And, but thank goodness there are other products on the market that we can use the same way that we have been using a Roundup-type product. Yep, everything changes, evolves. But we still keep planting because it makes us happy. Um, if everything was perfect, then we would be bored. <laughs> no, I would not either. <laughs> All right, let's run to another break. But y'all get your gardening questions together. You can post them on Facebook Live. You can give us a call, 901-260-5926. You're listening to KWAM. The garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990, powered by Palladio Home and Garden, with your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Good morning, gardeners, and welcome to Mid-South Gardening. Glad you could be with us today on our second hour of Mid-South Gardening. We've got this one and another one to go, so we have plenty of stuff to go over and plenty of time to listen to what's going on in your garden. That's exactly right. If you want to give us a call this morning, 901-260-5926, 901-260-5926, or you can shoot us a text on the Mighty 990 Facebook page, and like Vade and Jim say, if you don't get a chance to listen to it this morning, you can always go back and listen to the podcast kwamradio.com mm-hmm. uh, at any time you want. You know, they're um, always the thing about cows. Like they're causing all our methane, oh, yeah. you know, issues. They, they, they're like put the most in our atmosphere, like up to 40%. Just the cows burping, they're saying. Right, the you got to get rid of the cows. But when they say, they're not burping. And they say that, that rice is 
That's a gentle way the, to say it. The yeah. other big uh, proponent of um, putting methane. the methane in, in in the air, but the cows. I know they're saying cow burping, but I thought it was the cow something else too. Well, but both. anyway, um, they're finding out that seaweed, <laughs> and because it's not the cow that's making the methane, it's the microorganisms in the gut yeah. that's making this happen. So they're finding out that seaweed counteracts that issue in the gut, and uh, that could and it so they controls feed them, it ninety eight percent. Seaweed, or? yeah, seaweed, and it controls like the same kind that they're using. That we use in the seaweed that we use for a root stimulator because of all the hormones and all. And it's saying it's cutting it back like 98%. But they still have, of course, they still have to do more tests because that could be possibly passed on into the meat. And, and are, there's things in seaweed that aren't that good for humans. So they got to go through those tests. But, um, how ironic. How bizarre. Yeah, it'd be pretty cool that all the seaweed is washing up. They get all this stuff together and, and, and process it to where they, feed cattle with it uh, for all the right reasons, right? Yeah. If, that, if that will work. I mean, because I don't know what they, of course, we love selling liquid seaweed. Mm-hmm. Because if you read about seaweed, it is chocked full of enzymes and proteins, much more than other water-soluble plant foods, okay? But we all know that the one little word in there, which is, and Jim knows this, this is a natural occurring product called arsenic, Okay. So that's the rub when it comes to seaweed. They're like the EPA when I say they, they're like, mm-hmm. no, 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 no. You got to take vegetables off that label. And they're like, why? It's been on the label for the last 60 years. Yeah. Well, because it's got arsenic. Well, the arsenic is it's just, it's, a, it's in everything. It's, not like, it's an organic. Yeah. And it's, um, so you, it goes you, right through your body. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's, 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 I get it. I understand anything that has the word arsenic in it makes people run for the hills. But, uh, but the more we get educated on it, yeah, you know, no, it doesn't seem to work. I don't know. I was always saying that out yeah. loud. I'm going, wait that, a minute. We've been what saying happened this with forever. MSMA. You know, mm-hmm. they said, oh, it's got arsenic in it. You can't use it on your lawn. Well, it's organic arsenic. You know, yeah, it, you know, it's different than inorganic. And so the government says, well, we're afraid that it'll change to inorganic. Well, you know, like I'm always. Never happens. I know. I'm like always can't, the one can't that's talking about. duplicate it in the lab. Yeah. <laughs> I'm always the one talking about, you know, don't use a lot of chemicals. Just, you know, we want, because you can do, why use chemicals when you can do it a different way, more, more healthy with the soil. But have you ever heard any issues with any of the arsenic in any of our chemicals? No, you know, even back when, when they had that that scare about with what was the product Alar or something, it was used mm-hmm. on apples that had arsenic in it. Yeah, well, yeah, it did. It had arsenic in it. Okay, and it was such an extremely small amount, mm-hmm. but it was also an organic. It ain't gonna hurt anything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hey, so, do apple seeds have or- arsenic in it? Um, or what is it that with they, the apple no, seeds? No, they have. They form strychnine if yeah. you eat them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, you're just. <laughs> Eating apples, and you can have issues with the seeds and apples. So everything's got a thing. No, but no. Cyanide. 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 I'm sorry. Yeah. Not strychnine. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Mm. But anyway, let's go on. Well, to... maybe maybe seaweed will be at one day in cattle food. We'll see. How about um, if you're helping to save in the earth, Beta? Right. Right. And it's what I know they say if you eat one less steak or something, then uh, that could help save. Our greenhouse gases issue. 
I don't know. Well, don't count me in that one. I know, right? I was like, think, as I'm saying that as well, I'm well, going, well, well, well. Uh, six months or so. I think I've had one steak. Right. So, same yeah, here, same too. Here. Same I don't here. think I'm going to make a major impact. No. <laughs> you know? It's just so many of us, I guess. That's all. And then, what do you think about on boiling eggs? Because I've been trying to find the right answer. Now, this is it a garden starts, show. Yeah, this is, yeah, boiling eggs and getting calcium off the shell in your water i've heard fertilizing plants with egg water well you've got a little bit of calcium that comes off in the water i i've been reading trying trying to find out is that true and then somebody also on another site had posted where they they had some eggshells and they stepped on the eggshells and crunched them in and then you can see this green around where the eggshells were. Well, but I'm Jim, like, you know, that, I don't know. There's a lot of myths out there mm-hmm. that have been debunked. Yeah. And yeah. one of them is eggshells. And I'm not mm-hmm. saying don't do it, but there are actually probably more harmful things using eggshells in a garden than they are good things. And the harmful things, Jim. Well, well, first of all, it's not a good source of calcium. And it's calcium carbonate, just like lime. Okay. If the particles aren't the consistency of talc, very fine, I mean, yeah, soft, yeah. It, you're not getting any calcium on it. You can find eggshells buried 100 years from now, mm-hmm. okay? And so there's no point in putting eggshells at the bottom of your hole or adding them to your compost pile. It's doing nothing other than drawing animals, okay? And then, like, the calcium water off of the eggs... It you would know, have like a if, very minute amount, yeah. but again, there, you know, if you're trying to to fix things like blossom end rot, oh, it's no. the wrong type yeah. of calcium. Yeah, you got to get something that's available in those wet soils, and and it ain't it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, right. I guess I would say if I was going to use calcium water, maybe I would dump some on my house plants. Uh, not really expecting it to improve a whole lot of stuff, but you know, I'm just adding a little something, something, make me feel better doing well, it's it. Not but hurt. it's not going to solve no. anything. But what about so, Jim, using eggshells, uh, ground up eggshells, egg you know, just throwing them out there and let them compost down, um, if they will compost down. But there's nothing detrimental about it. Well, it? did you the, say the, one time there were some? Yeah, there are some issues there. Okay, um, if they're not. There is this the thing about the size of the particle. Yeah. You know? And this is true with lime. You know, and when a farmer buys lime, he buys it a, a certain, um, they sign it, all right, yeah. so that larger yep. particles stay there, the smaller stuff gets out. And it gets to a point where if, if it's not, if it's too big, you can't sell it even as lime because it's just not going to do anything. Mm-hmm. It's like adding bone meal, you know, it'll be there. When the next dinosaurs come. Uh, <laughs> but if the particle, there is this size where it gets down to where earthworms can eat them, but they can't pass them. And they can actually tear their insides up. So it's it's probably not the best thing. It, well, it's absolutely not the best thing to be putting in your garden. And, and, and that's one of those things where people are scratching their head and throwing bricks at the radio because... It's one of those things that we've always done. Mm. Oh, and, and, you know, you know and writers talk about it all yeah. the time. Uh-huh. Do these things, you know, yeah. but they're writers. They're not gardeners. Yeah. Okay. They're not scientists. So yeah. it doesn't work to germinate an 
a seed in an eggshell and then plant the eggshell in the ground well, it's with just the like seed a, It's it. like a cup. Yeah. I mean, you know, the calcium's like, not going to do anything. Right. Like and it's not going to break down and allow the roots to grow. Are the roots strong enough to break through an eggshell? Probably no. not. Mm-hmm. I would think so, you, yeah. You would need to crack it. Yeah. You know? Okay. You're better so off using the egg that. carton. Yeah. Right. Pretty, pretty much. Yeah, so not in the there, plastic one, planting in yeah. there. Probably right. got as much nutritional value. Uh, it's the paper egg carton. Right. <laughs> oh, I know that's we got to go to a break, but maybe when we get back, you know, there are so many people that have houseplants these days. Houseplants are like king, I'm mm-hmm. telling you. Oh, I was talking to a lady the other day that uh, had mealybugs. So we need to kind of yeah. go over. Mm. Yeah, houseplants. I've got. Thinking about mm-hmm. trees, and I know Jim, you got topics. We got lots of we stuff. We got to get rid of these mealybugs, though. Ew. Oh my gosh, the insects. Well, I love to hear what y'all have going on in your garden. Start waking up a little bit. I know we get a lot of callers in the third hour because you're awake, but we'd love to hear what's going on now. Uh, we'll be back 260-5926. Good morning, gardeners. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Give us a call, 260-5926. You're listening to KWAM 990. You can also uh, download our app, The Mighty 990. Yeah, listen to the podcast anytime you want. Talking to a young lady the other day, she had quite a few houseplants. And in this case, Beta and Jim, it was more Hoyas than anything. Oh, I love Hoyas. Yeah, and uh, she was having, starting to have a mealybug problem on some of her Hoyas. And I told her, you know, I said mealybugs are one of those just hard to get rid of insects on houseplants. They just, they just are. You know, they're, mm-hmm. I think they're in the scale family. Um, but they just, you know, they don't even have to mate to multiply. That's how crazy they are. Okay. But I told her, I said, <laughs> a couple of things that you can do to get rid of mealybugs. And, and this is true really for most insects on houseplants in general. And I like kind of doing the two-step method, Vita, since you're from Texas. You've been in Texas <laughs> before. In Texas. Yeah, not from Texas. <laughs> is a granulated systemic granule, uh, systemic houseplant granules that you just sprinkle into the soil and then you come back and water them in. And that product is absorbed through the roots and it's moved through the entire plant. So you'll kill the bug from the inside out. But also using a spray, something like neem oil in this case, um, to physically spray the mealybugs. And I said, listen, do do both of these, and you'll have to spray more than one time. In fact, if it was mine, I'd spray three or four times, maybe about five days apart, because you have to break that reproductive cycle that these mealybugs are going through. And she said she had been, you know, using the Q-tips with the alcohol. And I said, that's fine. You know, if you want to go in there and try to physically remove as many of those mealybugs as you can. But you'll never get them all that way. I'm not saying don't do it. I'm not saying it doesn't help. I'm just saying it won't get rid, completely rid of the problem. I don't think you solved the whole problem. Right. But she said it was kind of weird. She's got some of them lined up. And it would, you know, let's say the... The pot to the very left, it's got mealybugs, and then four pots down, that one's got it, and two Mm -hmm. pots down, that one's got it. She said, but they all don't have it. I said, well, not yet. Yeah. You know, um, because we know mealybugs, they'll they'll move around. And then if she got them from different vendors, the soil content could even be different. That's exactly what I told her. I said, it could be something, you know, the amount of light that you're getting on these this line of Hoyas, the type of soil that they're in, how much water they're getting, how much fertilizer, all those different factors. One of them can be weaker than another. But I'm telling you, if you use uh, the two-step method, using the systemic granules and a combination of spraying, 
uh, and whether it's neem oil or any other insecticide that has mealybugs on the label that you can safely use on houseplants, that is the way to go. But like I told her, I think the most important thing is spray more than one time. And you then, know what? Oh, go ahead. And then do everything you can to make sure these Hoyas that have mealybugs are mm-hmm. healthy. I, I always have problems deciding on how dry is dry. When do you water? Even You're supposed to let Hoyas go dry. You let cactus go dry. And I always have trouble how long is dry. And then when it's really dry, don't let it sit in water mm-hmm. and absorb everything because it becomes oversaturated too quickly. So we went too dry, too wet, too wet. So, Jim, you love Hoyas. Do you have a routine or how do you work it? No, I just, you know, I can pretty much tell by picking up a pot if it needs to be watered. Yeah. yeah and right now they're out in full sun on baker rack type of thing mm-hmm. um you know watering them every two to three days you know mm-hmm. <clears throat> but outside <clears throat> where it's windy yeah. it's gonna they're gonna dry much quicker than in the house you know i would think with most hoyas if you've got a fairly decent sized pot you're probably not going to need to water it more than once every two weeks or so Wow. Yeah. And that, is that outside? No, that's inside. Okay, inside. Yeah, yeah about every two. Okay. And do you ever get mealybugs on yours, Jim? Oh, home? yeah. 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 But I, I am a firm believer in the imidacloprid granules. Yeah, that's right. the systemic granule that we're right. talking about. If you yeah. just do that every 90 to 120 days, you won't have any insects. Yeah, because period. It's, that, that's true. Because, like, for instance, I'm always saying, you know, keep your plant as healthy as possible. Uh, then you won't have insect and disease problems as prevalent and all. But... We're growing our plants indoors, so that's number one strike against you anyway. Mm-hmm. So you're all, no matter how good you are, you could have insect problems, and that systemic's just really easy yeah. to do. And uh, and it's it, it sounds terrible, um, but this particular insecticide is virtually non toxic to mammals, mm-hmm. uh, so you don't have to worry about your pets getting in there. Mm-hmm. If they eat it, they're going to be fine. Um, so it's it's really. You know, if you read any pesticide label, it um, it's they're supposed to put the the fear of of overuse yeah. in mm-hmm. you. They don't want you putting down too much, obviously. And um, that's on really anything. And that's on anything. So you know, they have a lot, the first statements are going to be you know wear protective clothing, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and all this, and stand behind bulletproof glass and. Yeah. <laughs> Put your just, hands in these glove yeah. things and move the, and that's yeah. you know that's where they have to cover themselves, right. you know, because people will go out there, you know, wearing a string bikini and get <laughs> yeah. stuff all Sprays over. Sprays everywhere, yeah. 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 <laughs> so, uh, but anyway, you know, look at on any label. Look at the uh, look at the the warning words. You're going to have caution, warning, or danger. And caution or cons- they're not non-toxic, but they're it's the least of. Them. They are the least toxic of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and imidacloprid, when it came out, that was one of the great things about it. It was it was easy on bees. That was the what we heard, uh, and that it was uh, uh, doesn't safe, hurt mammals. Doesn't yeah. hurt mammals, and it was systemic through the roots. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was it was a great product, and and still is. Yeah, and and we're talking about the granulated version of it that comes right. in a you know, eight ounce or one pound canister that people typically use for house plants. Now you can get it liquid, mm-hmm. you know, and there are some applications outside where you can use it like that. But you know, if you've got things in flower, you you really don't want to use many pesticides, okay? Mm-hmm. You know, or direct your spray at the ground, the lower foliage, 
uh, you know, try not to spray the flowers with anything, regardless of how safe and, and you why is it. And why is that, Jim? Well, because it can it can affect your beneficials, mm-hmm. your pollinators, uh, that sort of thing. But like with spinosad, it's considered safe if you spray it in the evening and it dries overnight. It, by morning, it's considered safe for pollinators. Right. So it's uh, you know that's that's a good product for things like mealybugs outside, cottony leaf hopper. Yeah. Um that we're seeing a lot of again. Uh, yeah, we, we are. We yeah. had a banner year last year. We we're, we're going to have another one. But it's a but it, to me it seems like mealybugs in particular can be the most stubborn insect to get rid of. And in and, and on outside, uh you know, a lot of times on pyracanthas and those kind of things, you'll also see those mealybugs. And typically we're spraying, you know, to control them out there. Uh, and that's why I said a while ago, it's going to take more than one application. You've got to break that reproductive cycle uh, when you're spraying. Uh, I had a friend use, uh, you can get the rubbing alcohol that's in a spray bottle. She sprayed her whole Hoya with it. And I was worried. It didn't it, burn it up. I know. And, and it didn't, actually. But wouldn't the, I wouldn't think that that would be good to do. That's, should you just target the insects? Oh, the first with the, thing on every pesticide label is it's a violation of federal law to use a product inconsistent with its labeling. Mm-hmm. Rubbing alcohol is not labeled for an, as an insecticide, yeah. you know? Uh, so you really shouldn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why people want to open their kitchen cabinet and get up underneath the sink and pull out stuff and spray their plants. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Just <laughs> duh, buy something that's made to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Yes, yes. So hopefully if you've got house plants and you've had mealybugs or you will have mealybugs in the future, uh, just remember those those two steps. Uh, I'm telling you, the, the systemic granules and the combination with spray. And Jim's saying a lot of times you don't even need to spray it. Just use the granules on a yeah. consistent basis. You know, but I am watching, anyway. I'm watching mine pretty close, you know. Yeah. Yes. And they're not going to be white before right. I decide to do something. And see, that's the other thing, too, about when you have plants and things like that. You, you need to check them out from close up <laughs> instead of from a distance, too, because you don't see stuff until you get closer yeah. to it. You know, but like Japanese beetles just wore out, you know, the top of my Sahari Lauder's walking stick. Mm-hmm. But they only ate at leaves down about six to eight inches. Right. And below Start that. the top and work their way yeah, down, Jim. Below that, they're good leaves. Mm-hmm. They appear to have moved on. There were none feeding this week on it. Yeah. So they're going to recover just fine. I never had to spray them at all. So, well, you know. Well, and I was talking to a uh, good friend of mine, Tammy Manderson, who can, uh, takes care of a lot of roses here in the Mid-South. And for the last, oh, Lord, three weeks at least, strong uh, Japanese beetles have been just horrendous. And they've, they've got traps out at every property they take care of. They also spray as needed. Uh, and they've been catching, I mean, thousands and thousands of these Japanese beetles. But she said this week, this starting this week, uh, they saw fewer uh, than they've seen in the last three weeks. Now, they've still seen a lot, don't get me wrong, but the it seems like we're kind of making it past the peak, and yeah. maybe we're on the downslope when it comes to these dang Japanese beetles. We're just trading off bagworms for Japanese beetles because now the bagworms yeah. are excelling. Japanese beetles are kind of going away. And this is the year where I think, you know, I, A, I don't have as many blooms like I told you in the first hour on my crepe myrtles that I had last year. But I haven't seen, I've seen a few Japanese beetles up there eating those blooms. Because remember last year, they ate every yeah. bloom I had. So we'll see. Things are different year to year, I guess. Yeah, and part of that may be environmental, too. We've had such a cloudy spring. 
uh, you know, it may have pushed your bloom back. Right. Right. So yeah. maybe yeah, I'll see a little more bloom later on after the Japanese beetles have peaked. Yeah, yeah I've seen them very, you know, a month by just yeah. having a cloudy yeah. spring. I have loved our spring, though. Yeah. I mean, we actually, month. yeah, we actually made it up to the first day of summer without really having summer yeah. happen you before. Have, if you've got a convertible, it's been the first year since you bought it that you can use it. <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I actually rolled down my windows in the truck. I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> what if I had that convertible for the last 10 years, Jim? <laughs> That's <laughs> right. right. All right, y'all, hang on. We'll be right back. You can give us a call, 260-5926. Good morning, gardeners. Welcome back. Give us a call, 260-5926. She's trying to put a sweater on over here, y'all, and it's just... Gosh. And she took, was taking it off just a minute ago. <laughs> I know. Ago. I can't get it right in here. It's comical. Okay. You want to give us a call, <laughs> 901-260-5926, or you can shoot us a text on the Mighty 990 Facebook page. And then, like we said always, you know, if you listen uh, to us live, that is awesome. That's what we want you to do. But if you happen to miss it, you can go back and listen to the podcast uh, at your convenience on kwamradio.com. And a lot of people do that. In fact, a lot of people come into the garden center and say they love listening to the podcast. So, And you can all during the week, any time of the day or night, post on our Facebook group. I was answering questions at 2 o'clock in the morning several mm-hmm. nights this week. Good Lord. Right. So, um, yeah, you can post pictures. You can brag. You can ask questions. Uh, so, you know, if you're not a member, you ought to be. Yeah, because so, it's really turned into something big, it, Jim. It's, it's, it's been real good. You know, we have a lot of good contributors who are on there quite frequently, and you see the progression of the, their gardens as we're going along. And, um, you know, um, so it's uh, you can get an answer, you know, and likely you'll get a correct one. And this is Mid-South <laughs> Gardening uh, on the Facebook page, Mid-South right? Gardening, gardening in USDA zones 6, 7, and 8. And I and, do like that you've got it fixed, or you request not to copy and paste things. Yeah, you can't do that, and I'll catch it. Mm, <laughs> yeah. am, you know, you can't copy pictures and put in there. Um, and or Jim, copy what, an article to answer yeah, a question. All that's because plagiarism. Because we're just wanting you know, to know yeah. what... Google doesn't... Facebook won't let you say some things, but they'll let you steal anything you want and post it. <laughs> okay. So, what uh, and I guess it's the same issues that we've been talking about that y'all have seen this week. Whether it's Japanese beetles, yeah, that are I, gone. I, I showed Kenneth here a minute ago a picture of the bucket that's just crawling with them. They, they, this was five days worth, you know. Then they'd put a trap out, and they said, "Wow, these traps really work." You know, <laughs> if they had not put all. that trap out, you wouldn't have had yes. but about a. a Two percent of those. No, nope. Okay. nope. Oh, but, but maybe know, he's yeah. hoping that those pheromones the work neighbors. very well at bringing them in from a long way away. It even has sound to it, and you can hear them. Oh all yeah, in the bucket. Yeah, but um, but Jim, I'm, but the beauty of the the Facebook page also is it, the questions and the pictures that you see are relevant to what's happening this time of year. That's yeah, right. that's true. You know, I mean, so if there's a problem out there, someone is going to have that problem, and they're going to post it. So it will let other people, the thousands of members that you have on there, or the thousands of people that look on there, uh, it's kind of like spreading the word, if you will. Yeah. You know? So I think it's a win-win for everybody. Also, oh. guys, remember coming up on July the 15th, 
Mark that one down in your calendars. That's the Great Tomato Contest, uh, and it's a lot of fun. And, I mean, it's it's a lot of bragging rights that go with this tomato contest. And, of course, it's always at the Red Barn at the Agri Center out there. Uh, and I believe that's going to be a Saturday, July the 15th, and that's from 9 to 3. And you can get on the Memphis Area Master Gardener uh, webpage and read more about it if you want to enter some of your tomatoes into the contest. you got everything to gain and nothing to lose. Not only do you get uh, some monetary uh, awards, but there's also, Jim, the Invader the metal that you know the metals are the bragging rights man it's the bragging rights that you yeah. and we talked about this last weekend which i didn't know that the tomato is actually our state fruit mm-hmm. how crazy does that sound first of all it should be a vegetable not a fruit but it is a fruit right because i always yes. think of it as a vegetable but it is our tomato fruit uh, it's our state fruit the right. dang tomato is so so order beans <laughs> So uh, beans, beans, beans are beans. Beans are legumes. What also, is a bean? Is it a vegetables or fruit? Boy, okay, it must be a vegetable. Now that you've thrown no, a fruit. Yeah. What? It's, it's a, a fruit. fruit. God, it's crazy. But we're going to have some mm. of the guys in here talking about the great tomato contest on July the eighth, the weekend before the fifteenth. So July the eighth coming up, we'll have some of them in studio, guys talking about what we need to do uh, for the tomato contest coming up on July the 15th. Write that one down. And the better your soil is, the sweeter the tomato is. So go out today and add you some garden tone, Mm. some tiger bloom. um, Keep them well watered. Don't let them get dry because, you know, if they're too wet, too dry, too wet, too dry, that'll cause issues with well, them as well. And the blossom end, right? Yeah, the it, blossom end. Take some of the bottom leaves off. You can take a lot of bottom leaves off your tomatoes to keep in, uh, diseases from hitting the soil and jumping back up on the foliage. Put a little pine needles around the bottom of them. That'll help cut mm-hmm. the risk down substantially. Yeah, and then if you do have blossom end, right, and we've seen a lot of it this week. Mm-hmm. We've been seeing a lot of it the last two or three weeks, but this past week we've seen a lot of it. And that's where the bottom of the tomatoes just starts to rot. And uh, the product that I really like, and there's two, there's Yield Booster, and we've talked about this, and there's Calcium Nitrate. Uh, But I really like the Calcium Nitrate, uh, which is a granulated product that you just sprinkle around the tomato, about a teaspoon around each one, uh, about two inches away from the, uh, the trunk of the tomato, and come back in two weeks and reapply it. That product works, I'm just telling you. And it's not like you can't use calcium nitrate in your whole garden, but it's particularly great for blossom end rot that you have on tomatoes. Well, vegetable gardening, <clears throat> excuse me, what else do we have in our vegetable gardens that is doing great right now? Maybe we should have the great squash contest, the great com- cucumber contest. Yeah, but it's, it's not the bragging rights that go with tomatoes. And that's why I always I say, Beta. the best squash ever. That means nothing, though. You know, where <laughs> no. I grew the best tomato, people are like, ooh, ooh. they take notice, you right. know? Man, the one Isn't thing that funny? I saw that was really eye-opening to me was the tomato farms in Asheville, North Carolina, in that area. Just pasture of rows of tomatoes with big fat tomatoes on them and it's just a great place to grow tomatoes apparently but i'd never seen so many Mm. just rows and rows like you're looking at rows of soybeans or rows of cotton like you see here but their fields were rows of tomatoes i know amazing 
and and you know <clears throat> we always say if you can grow anything here in the mid south you can grow it anywhere in the world which mm-hmm. is so true and the thing with tomatoes and vegetable gardens in particular you know it's not just the insects and the disease that we are worried about and the nutrients and the soil and all that then here come the varmints you know <laughs> and it's like God, we can't win for losing, you know, whether it's squirrels, whether it's rats, whether it's voles, whatever it is. You know, we're constantly fighting something when it mm-hmm. comes to our vegetable garden. But they're still a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, and I surely love more homegrown vegetables than I do anything else, honestly. Well, I'm hearing um, where people are starting to let their vegetable gardens, where they're just not totally taking everything out of the garden, just stripping it. They're planting their vegetables, but they're still allowing flowers and herbs and uh, even ornamental grasses around so you can create more places for beneficials to hang out. And maybe your bunny rabbits will go live in some of the grasses instead of trying to get into your uh, vegetables and lay in them. Of course, I know they're eating them too. But, you know, more biodiversity around your vegetable garden. Plant flowers around it, you know, for the pollination for the beneficials to hang out. I mean, we need to do everything possible right. to give us a, um, that leg up to be able to continue to garden easier and yeah. more productive. I mean, there's no doubt about it. And also, you mentioned squash a while ago. You know, one of the big things with squash is the squash bore. And it's nothing mm-hmm. more. It just it just kills you. You've got this yeah. squash, and it's looking healthy, and it's blooming. You start to get squash on there, and then it just collapses mm-hmm. on you. And a lot of times that's from that little bore that bores into the trunk and just kind of works its way up, and it kills the whole plant. And and that's why I really believe if you put down the granulated bifenthrin uh, product, especially in a squash. Now, first of all, don't plant squash in the same spot two years in a row. Same thing with mm-hmm. tomatoes. I like to rotate the crop, okay, because the the larva of the squash bore is coming from the ground. You know, that's where the moth comes mm-hmm. from. So um, putting the granulated uh, bifenthrin down, uh, especially, I like to do it in the whole garden, especially where I'm planting squash, a lot of times you can prevent a lot of those squash borers from getting in there to start with. And then we've always heard of people either wrapping the, you know, the stems with aluminum foil, mm-hmm. you know, as a barrier, or I've heard of people using pantyhose, believe it or mm-hmm. not. But those little things, if you can keep that bore out of there, I promise you, you <laughs> You're doing yourself a huge favor. Uh, it's funny you say pantyhose. I told a lady to use pantyhose over her uh, pump to filter, to keep the sticks from going into the pump just temporarily till we can get back and get a, a better thing built. And she looked at me like, does anybody even have pantyhose anymore? <laughs> that I don't know. <laughs> oh, my gosh. But, That's how we um, used to put seven dust down. You put it in a mayonnaise jar and put a piece of hose over yeah. it and you shake it. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. And instead of poking holes in the top, you yeah. just put it. And then I thought it was the thing, you know, every season you go out with the panty. At first you'd cut them all up into long strips and then go up and tie mm. all your vegetables up with them. A lot of uses but for it. But it was stretchy. Yeah. So it worked really nice. Easy to tie. Didn't cut into the, the plant. So, well, anyway, let's go to a break. <laughs> Because then we'll be talking about other types of clothing you can use to hold your plants up. This is a <laughs> garden show, Veda. Oh. Not a fashion show, my dear. <laughs> let's, uh, let's go ahead and take a break quickly. 901-260-5926. <laughs> Good morning, gardeners. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. 
So uh, I've heard you can plant sunflowers with tomatoes, and that way the birds will go for the sunflower seeds instead of the tomatoes. Yeah, right. I know. I'm like, <laughs> do you think that's accurate? Maybe it helps a little bit, but tomato, sunflower seeds. Well, I don't know. They like. I never really thought about the fact that a t- bird would eat a tomato. Yeah, they'll peck at them. But they don't really munch on them. They're just interested in them. Yeah. And then just pecking on like, them is enough. What, 97% water? That's it. Yeah. So mm-hmm. they're going for the moisture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So even if they eat sunflower seeds, they're going to be thirsty after that <laughs> and then go peck on your tomatoes. But anyway, I heard that was a thing. I mean, this is like somebody speaking from experience in their garden. Um, but then they say, oh, I plant milkweed because milkweed attracts aphids. Right. And it'll keep the aphids off the other plants. Like, no. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. That, maybe that. I don't know. <laughs> Try it out and see. <laughs> but the milkweed is so pretty this year, too. It is. It's been outstanding. Yeah. And I've seen more pictures of native milkweed uh, growing. Or <clears throat> is it the native? What's the one that gets really tall that just, it comes up in your yard just everywhere? In the lawn. But, um, well, I guess it would have to be a native if it keeps coming back year after year. No, just, it wouldn't have to be. You know, oh, that's you, a good you, point, yeah. 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 With the milkweed, you've got the, well, the swamp milkweed. Um, and, of course, the botanical name is just zipped right out of my mind. Uh, is zipped right out of my mind? Yep. That's a botanical name. I like milkweed, though. It's beautiful when it's blooming. Yeah. Well, somebody said that there was a difference. She goes, now that over there is my milkweed. What was the other name she used? Milkweed. What else do we call it? Milkweed. Butterfly weed. Butterfly, butterfly weed. weed. Yeah. One was a milkweed, but one was a butterfly weed. Right. Is there a difference? Is one a milkweed, one a butterfly weed, or are they all the same? Well, no, they're different species, but the main difference is, is where they grow. Um, your <clears throat> butterfly weed likes a dry, hot <clears throat> environment, whereas your milkweed is going to want a moist, more swampy kind of, you know, that's where the hence the name swamp milkweed comes yeah. from. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But then if we don't call it so, so you have to treat them differently. Oh wait, butterfly weed is more hot and dry. Right. Sclepius tuberosa is the or typical orange one. Okay. Sclepius tuberosa is the orange one that likes it more hot and dry. And mm-hmm. that's a butterfly weed. Then the butterfly plant is am I calling it right? The butterfly plant. That could be a world of things. Yeah. That can mm. be Budlia. with splitting hairs. I know. We work because we were in a yard, and they both look like butterfly weed to me. And she's like, this one, no, no. She goes, that's the butterfly weed, and this is a... Butterfly plant. Yeah. But they <laughs> both look like butterfly weed. But there is still differences because there's so many varieties yes. here. But the one we see mostly is the orange one. Right. That looks so pretty right now. Yeah, and, you know, perennials in general, the beauty of perennials, and we all know this, is they come back every year, typically for you. Uh, the drawback is they don't, if there is one, they don't bloom every day like annuals do. But I'm telling you, you've got to have some perennials out there. Well, there's like, what, five full sun hot perennials that you, well, I don't know, there's really more than that. I mean, that can just really, you know, like the coneflower. You know that's going to bloom practically the, the whole and the season. Black-eyed Susans. Yeah, and, and the, 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 the Shasta daisies. I mean, they're Russian sage. I mean, you know, Russian sage is so pretty with ornamental grasses. And then I've seen 
Did you notice that bank up there on Poplar that's just new? I don't know if there's a bank or service mm-hmm. station. They planted the medians with different varieties <laughs> of grass. <laughs> and there's some feather grass. Quit laughing at me. Well, you know, if they've done such a good job landscaping, you can't tell if it's a service station or a bank. Jim went past the landscaping, Jim. But like, ornamental oh, grasses are, a house there? Are, are, are perennials. And, I now, mm-hmm. and there is a beautiful ornamental grass called purple fountain grass. Yeah. That is one of the prettiest it. ones out there, but it is just an annual. Mm-hmm. You know, it won't typically come back for you. But there's so many other varieties of ornamental grasses, some that only get 8 to 10 inches tall, some that get 6 to 7 foot tall, and everywhere in between. Yeah. And if you can't find an ornamental grass that you like, I'm telling you something's wrong. There's a few grasses that we shouldn't use here, and I can't tell you the names of them, only because do you, you notice like there's a few grasses that die out in the middle. So we should just not use those here well, because it your... seems like they're always going to do that. And I'm noticing... Like throughout the years, someone had a row of ornamental grasses, and each year as they cut them back, they, I guess they're needing to divide them much more sooner. They but then are. there's some ornamental grasses that just stay and stay, and you don't have to divide. They're always looking beautiful, like Carl Foster, the blue stem, feather grass, uh, the zebra grass. Mm-hmm. But and a lot of the you know the morning light miscanthus mm-hmm. and those pens. Oh, I mean, all of those. I mean, most ornamental grasses are, they're the toughest little thing you can put out in your landscape. Uh, but a lot of them, they have variegation to them. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not just green, Jim, as you know. Um, but I love them. I mean, I really like If you can't figure something out and you're mm-hmm. like, mm, man, what can I put right there? And if you can't figure anything else out, usually you can put an ornamental yeah. grass there to be just fine. It softens corners. <clears throat> it's at a good height. Ornamental grasses seem to grow at a height that other things don't. But I'm looking, I see ornamental grass, autumn joy sedum, gray owl juniper, coneflower. (coughs) Those would be some good, hot, dry, full sun perennials that would look pretty together and be lower maintenance than anything else. Yeah, and it's just, and then there's, you know, a lot of people think that. You know, when they start dealing with a more shaded environment, mm-hmm. uh, that there just really aren't that many perennials to put in shade. And I agree that there's not as many shade perennials as there are sun-loving perennials, but there is a ton of perennials that you can put in the shade. You know, like, well, here, for instance, I have a lot of um, woodland flocks in stock, but it's not really going to sell in the summer because it blooms early in the spring. Yeah, but it's a great perennial. But you perennial. should get it in now. So next spring, it'll really be full of blooms. But mm-hmm. it's hard to sell things when it's not blooming. Yeah, and we all know that there's the hostas and, and the ferns. And those are our go-to perennials. Hey, how's your Jurassic fern doing? Oh, the they're ju- oh, they're fine. Yeah? Yeah. They're still in the containers. I haven't put yeah. them in yet. And that's Jurassic sound like it's going to be a big fern, Jim. <laughs> well, it's Jurassic gold. It's, um, uh, it's supposed to be a little bigger. Um, but it uh, has beautiful foliage on it. Beautiful. Yeah, then, I'm watching ours flush out. I need to plant one, though. <laughs> and, and then, you know, some of the other shade perennials. You know, there's always the heuchera mm-hmm. uh, or coral bells uh, that have beautiful foliage on them. I mean, just striking color to them. Turtle head, blackberry lily. A stilby. Epimediums. I which, love which, epimediums. Which are tough, just as tough as ornamental grasses, to be honest with you. There's a world of arums. 
um, that you can plant. Hey, There's a world about? of aspidistra, which is aspidistra, a cast iron plant. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There are starting to, I'm noticing more and more aspidistra available heights, colors, mm-hmm. well, variegations, actually. Yeah. And so, they are, you can use cast iron plants as house plants mm-hmm. also, but or outdoor plants. You can use that aurelia as a house plant or an outdoor plant. Yeah, but yeah. but my whole point is is there are more than just hostas and ferns, and I'm, I'm surely mm-hmm. not saying don't use hostas and ferns because they are to me the best two. They they rank the highest of all of them, but there are other perennials that you can sprinkle out there in the shade than just those two. Well, also you can get I've seen a bed done with hostas and ferns, but they were all the same textures. I mean, all the same greens. So I can see why a lot of people are thinking, well, you know, hostas and ferns, you don't see anything, but <clears throat> There's different shades of green in hostas and different shades of greens in ferns. And there you can even kind of go to some blues and some chartreuse and a little bit of yellows. So if you use hostas and ferns, just pick varieties with different color foliage. Yeah, and I've seen beds with nothing but ferns in them, and I've seen beds with nothing but hostas, different varieties, and it still looks beautiful. All right, we're going to have fun on our third hour. Y'all get your questions together, 260-5926. The garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990, powered by Palladio Home and Garden, with your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Good morning, gardeners, and welcome back to our third hour of the Mid-South Gardening Show. I'm Veda with Palladio. Yeah, and I'm Kenneth with Dan West Garden Centers. And I'm Jim Crowder, retired nurseryman and administrator of our Facebook group, Mid-South Gardening, Gardening in USDA Zone 6, 7, and 8. And see, Jim, that sounded very professional mm. instead of just, I'm the other one. Well, you know. there has yeah, to be one of us that way. <laughs> <laughs> in each hour, we have one person that's professional in each hour. Yeah. They yeah. have their talent. Maybe. I'm yeah, just and kidding. it's me. <laughs> <laughs> and it's Jim. And if you want to give us a call, 901 Five nine two six nine zero one two six zero five nine two six, or you can shoot us a text like Miss Mary Tyndall did on the Mighty Nine Ninety Facebook page, and she said, "I have some potatoes. Uh, let me get back to this. I have some potatoes that have shriveled but not sprouted or molded. Should I compost them or just throw them away? Once before, I had potato vines covering my compost pile. You are my Sunday morning trip, uh, Mary. Thank you so much for that. Um, I, I think the safest thing you can do is." Throw those things away, you know. Mm. Potatoes have oh, and this. not put them in the compost pile, right? Right. Yeah, I'm. I'm not a big fan of putting any food in compost piles. Uh, y- it's going to draw rats, raccoons, things like that that are going to um, fertilize your compost pile. Uh, and I just that's not something that I would do. I like to put yard waste in there, and that's about all. So green foliage and brown foliage you'd want to put in there, but not the potato itself. Not the potato. Would you put itself? banana peels in there? Jim? I would not. No, I would not put eggshells in there. But I, I, I mean, I think I, I wouldn't would not put coffee grounds in there. Why not? Because they're not good for plants. Mm-hmm. Okay. Everybody thinks, oh well, they're acidic. Well, they're not. They're just barely under neutral mm-hmm. you know coffee grounds come out about 6.6 yeah i wouldn't call is, that acidic but it, and this clearly is anything under seven is acidic right. is that if you take the water from these grounds and water things like um seedlings it will stunt them okay under 
coffee plants. Nothing grows because the leaves fall down there, and it's toxic to most things. I added, um, I did that in like in the kitchen, like you finish, because it would make me feel good. But also, I was thinking of just more stuff in my compost pile. The more dirt I would get, but I always took out the what did I take? The coffee grounds, the pills. You know, I actually never put eggshells because. I didn't want to see them just hanging out in the compost pile every time I turned them. Mm. So I never used the eggshells, never put fat stuff in there, no, like no fatties or meats no. or anything like that. But, um, yeah, mostly I just used the pills and the coffee grounds because I already had the compost pile going. So just adding those little bit of things would break down quick. Yeah. And But if you were trying to rely on just using that, no. And, and then I had a friend that blended their vegetables all their leftover stuff in a blender with some water and then go out and just pour it all around her little garden right up next to her house. And it's not, it's not Jim know. is saying, Jim is saying, and you're saying, don't do it. It's not mm-hmm. like you can't do it because it will break down. Yeah. It's just that it can bring in those varmints. And that's not really what you want in your compost. Especially if you don't dig it in there. But also for Mary, uh, potatoes in particular, man, them things always find a way to sprout. Let me tell you what, I can walk in a store and if there's a bad (coughs) potato, I know it. Really? You smell it? When I I was in high school, I worked in a uh, little grocery store Uh and they'd get bags, potatoes, and then one would go bad. And I always got to be the one to go through and pull those. Nasty things out of there and rebag them, get them back up to five or ten. Jim, they just turn into compost. I'm I'm telling you, you know, I can smell those things when I walk in the door. They do have distinctive smell. You know, before uh, I had started studying about, and we've been talking about this on the show a lot, how roots can cross over each other in the soil and they can help sustain a plant that's under stress. That a lot of times a live, healthy plant with their roots crossing can feed stressed out plants to help them recover too. And there's a lot of that going on. And uh, I told the story about how my son had two potatoes and they were both in plastic wraps. And he had them sitting outside on a, a patio table in the shade. And then just as this all of a sudden it comes this thing where they're just going to be there. Now they've been there so long, we're not even going to move them, mm-hmm. you know, except for they had sprouted through the plastic. Well, their um, sprouts were crossing each other and one potato stayed healthy and was excelling and the other one was slowly depleting itself. So apparently, and the studies show that a lot of times one plant will give up its energy to at least have one survive. And that's what was happening with this potato. The other one was declining and the other one was thriving. This was a number of years ago, and and he had mentioned it. He said, do you think it could have been, you know, feeding it? And then doing more studying on how plants help each other, I think that's what was happening with that one. But that one stayed healthy, and the other one just swiveled up eventually. And then we threw them all away. I mean, it was a year's worth of these potatoes sitting on that table. Well, I mean, you can take two cuttings of something and plant it together. And the root system, even though they're two separate plants, the root systems almost become entangled into one. Yeah. You know, so with the root hairs and everything else down there with that one root system now, in effect, they are taking care of one another. Mm -hmm. You know, now, not to say that if you keep one side of that pot or or if it's in the ground root root dry, you know, you are going to see some damage or too wet. You're still going to see some damage. But I agree with what you're saying. I mean, roots, 
Jim, I mean, I know there they would be two separate plants, but they would be intertangled in there. Uh, and one does. There's no greater gift than to give up your life for another. Mm. <laughs> Isn't that biblical or something? <laughs> no, it's like it sounded good, but then all of a sudden it sounded sad too. <laughs> and, and let me say this uh, because also, you know, we were talking about you know fungal activity in in lawns earlier in the in the second hour. Uh, if what we didn't, if you do think you have a fungal problem, or if you know that you have a fungal problem, you know we're saying one, don't use nitrates in your lawn at that time. Don't use the fertilizers, uh, but definitely use the fungicides. And there are liquid fungicides and there are granulated fungicides. But the two that I like are the granulated fungicides, a because of the cost and the coverage. Uh, they used to you used to get a much better coverage on a granulated fungicide than you do spraying one out there even though you can do it either way. But uh, Infuse is a good one, and uh, F-Stop is a good one. But the the reason I'm bringing this back up is make sure that you do it more than one time. You want to do it at least twice a couple weeks apart. It usually takes at least two applications to kill these lawn pathogens to really do a good job and eradicate those out of there. And unfortunately, we're seeing a lot of it. This year, and, you know, a lot of that could be because of all the rains we had also, Jim. You know that. So hopefully the lawns will come out of this stuff in in, in a better shape. Um, you know, and then we know it's not going to stay wet like it has been, you know, this spring. You know, we're, we're fixing to get into some hot, dry days. You know that. So just be aware of these fungal pathogens that are out there. All right. We're going to go to a break. Well, let's first talk about our good buddies over at Herbis System. Well, yeah, I mean, because yeah. like, like we've said before, if you live in Arlington or Atoka or Bartlett, Collierville, Germantown, Lakeland, Millington, Mumford, Oakland, or Somerville, and I think that kind of gets all of them. What kind of lawn or insect problems are you having? If you got any fire ants? Mostly people have weeds, brown spots, or bare spots. Well, our Let Me Kill Your Weeds guys at Herbis Systems can solve all these problems. They've been making our Mid-South landscapes beautiful for over 39 years, guys. And um, Arby Systems is locally owned, which is great. And um, he's got mm-hmm. a team that maintain, they have like uh, 11,000 customer properties. Good Lord. I know. And so they can maintain your lawn uh, to be um, insect-free, disease-free, beautifully green. Well, and also, Vader, they go out there and they take care of insects. You know, a lot of people don't know that. They think they're just for grass and only taking care of your lawn. But they also get your insects. They can aerate your soil for you. Herbie Systems always has your back. You know, the best lawn care program in Memphis, Let Me Kill Your Weeds, has never sounded so good. So and, for a free quote yeah. this week, tell them you heard about it um, on this show. Yeah, so tell them you heard about the Herbie Systems on the Garden Show or just say KWAM. So when you give them a call at this number, 390-9898, that's 390-9898, tell them, guys, say, look, I want the best lawn care company out there, and I heard y'all were it because the guys at the Garden Show said so, right? Let them kill your weeds. (laughs) Jim, say that one more time. Let them kill your weeds. Yeah. 390-9898. Good morning, gardeners. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Glad you can join us today. You know, this is why we need to keep our forests and our woods and all of that. Because when old, like like trees and oaks and things, I mean, they can live 400 years. Like a yew can live 
700 years. But as they're living so long, they they still are becoming old, but they, they get holes in the tree uh, where things wildlife can live in. They attract a lot of beneficials. So we need to keep old forest for all the beneficials and all the wildlife that we need to keep the world going. But we can't do that in our home, at our yard, because we can't let trees slowly decay because mm-hmm. then they'll fall on our house, they'll fall on people. But we still need a lot of that action. Well, if it's going to happen 400 years from now, you know, I don't yeah. really care. You're right. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. How long has this tree been planted? But then also in our urban situations, we shorten the life of a lot of our trees because of all the work we do around them parking on them, foundations on them, driveways on them, playing under them, over-fertilizing, over-watering, mm-hmm. weed killer around them. We're doing so much that shortens the life of a lot of these trees. And I mean, I'm shortening, saying like, maybe they don't live to 400 years in your yard. But we still need to keep our forest situation. But we don't think about exactly how many beneficials and Birds and all that rely on the cavities of the trees and the composting stumps and well, things but, like but that. But think of it this way also. When you're walking through a a woodland area or a forest or a jungle or wherever it might be, a, a mountain meadow, if you will, <laughs> Mother Nature landscaped that, okay? Well, in our own little oasis, we're landscaping. Yeah. And we, you know, everybody has different thoughts of what they want in their mm-hmm. landscape, and that's why... You know, you're so right. I've told you this story before, and a lady came in and told me about it, and she was furious. Now, it's not a thing that she could do about it, but she had a neighbor uh, that moved out, and new neighbors moved in. And it's not like that she didn't love the neighbors, Mm -hmm. but the first thing they did, they came in and took out 13 massive trees. Took them out. Gone. Okay? And it's the right of the new owners to do that, but the lady was like, I just can't understand why right. you know, they would do that. They turned this beautiful, and, and these were beautiful, well-kept oak trees, mm-hmm. okay? It's not like they were decayed sickly yeah. or anything like that, but these new people that came in just didn't want them, and it's, it's like I said, everybody has their own vision of what mm-hmm. they want their landscape to look like. So They probably wanted to grow a big foot. Thick, lush lawn. Well, for what, whoever you know. or whatever, you're right. But I'm just saying, and but that's why, like you're saying, you usually don't see, you know, things naturally going mm-hmm. from beginning to end in our landscapes. Yeah. Let me put it that way. That's true. Well, you know, my neighbor did exactly that. They took out all the trees in their front yard um, and changed what was a nice shade garden that I had into a full sun garden. And then I lost a huge um, <laughs> big leaf magnolia. It didn't affect just that them, That was Jill. like thousands of dollars yeah. of work. It affected I mean, the people yeah. around right. them also. Uh-huh. just killed everything there. Yeah. Um, so, you know, and it's their right to do it, although I think I would support legislature to prevent removal of mature trees unless mm-hmm. they are... Um, pose a threat yeah. or something yeah. like that, but but that's Jen, a good point. That would be a good. But thing you know to do. that's you know it's not going to happen. Right. You, you, know, know? I mean, you know, don't buy the house if you don't want trees. Right. In this I case, know, it was thirteen of them they took down. Yeah, that's that's so. amazing. And then we've got like right now is the perfect time to figure out where you want a tree. This is when your sun is hitting 
the parts of your house that's going to make it hot all summer. Mm-hmm. So this is a good time to look at your situation and figure out where to plant a tree. You mean strategically so think tree, about yes, it? Yes, because most I've had so many people come and go, where should I plant a tree where it would look good? Mm-hmm. I'm like, well, the, the way the tree looks good to me is it's shading the house mm-hmm. at the kitchen window, you know, at the at late afternoon, I don't want to be frying in my kitchen window. So if that tree's there, so this is a good time to start figuring out where to place your trees. And, you know, it's like you should have them at least 10 feet off the house. And um, then you need to have them, you know, somewhat off the property line. And you need to also have the right tree for the right spot. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, I'm raising my hand over here. Right. Because I do have the tulip poplar. Everybody knows about it in my front yard. My house faces dead west. And I tell you, it does shade the front of my house. Thank so, the Lord. So but generally speaking, it's in the right spot, but it's not aesthetically pleasing. It's not the right tree. I mean, because you could have another tree that exactly, would still serve that would the be purpose. doing the same thing. That's not as messy. Doesn't get mm-hmm. as big. You know, it's just. I mean, this this tree is the wrong tree. Uh, look at you. <laughs> <laughs> but but you're right. Now, if I did not have a tree, honestly, in mm-hmm. my front yard, the front of my house would would flat out bake. I mean, it would bake because it is just due west. Nothing would stop that sun from just just boiling the front of this house. So I love it for that reason. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, strategically putting trees out there, especially in my opinion, to keep the sun from baking your house uh, is, the, is the place that I would put them. Then you can always come back and put a few trees wherever you want them. And there's always the smaller ornamental trees, Jim, the Japanese maples and those kind of trees, crepe myrtles, whatever, that you can sprinkle around just for your, you know, your mm-hmm. own, hey, I like yeah. that tree. But I agree with it. I think in strategically putting shade trees is the way right. to go. They say 25, if you get a tree that's only going to get like 25 feet tall, you're not going to get it in the power lines. And that's the thing that a lot of people have trouble with is where can you plant a tree if you've got power lines close to your home. That's always an issue, too. Well, it's only an issue when MLG and W comes out there and does the pruning for you. And I promise you, they're not going to prune like you would prune. Yeah. They'll come in there and cut them things down in half and say, have at it. Good luck with it. I have to commend that some of the tree pruning people, I don't know, I haven't decided yet, on the medians, they're pruning the trees, and now they're not taking them straight up. You know, they're they're like pruning the limbs that are in the roadway, but they're not pruning them to the trunk. Well, but the They're ones chopping are- them off. So mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, so it's clearing the cars, and you are keeping the canopy, and that's great. And you're keeping more foliage and more shade on the soil, but you've chopped the ends off on the trees. So isn't there going to be some long-term issues well, with that? Well, m- maybe not, Veda. And that's, you know, that's just keeping the limbs out of the roadway. But when you start seeing these tree companies keeping limbs out of the power lines, the lines that grow, you know, that are going mm-hmm. down the streets, they're zipping those trees straight up. So you see this beautiful tree where one side of it looks just as natural as it can be. The other side by the lines... Jim, it is a straight line. I mean, just it doesn't look right. One of my favorite examples of that is when you're if you're going out uh, Interstate 40 and you get off at 64 and head east towards <laughs> Dam West on, out on Highway 64. Yeah, there were uh, large uh, junipers or, or cedars uh, all along the fence line there, and they went in and they just cut them off. You know, they've got about 
10% of the original foliage. Most of them are dead, you know, and that was not the right, the proper way was one cut ground level, take those trees (laughs) out, you know, and replant something Mm -hmm. that's more appropriate if you want. But to go in there and do Butcher that, them. I yeah. mean, that's, you know, that is not right. But the, they go in there to and do this so that they can come back and do it again. Okay? Yeah, yeah, you don't, job security. If, if they fixed the problem, they wouldn't have to come back, you know. But it, but it's so true that Veda said, I mean, a lot of us in our own property, you know, sometimes you'll have the power lines on the back part of your property. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're planting trees back there that are go- they're going to get in them. Yeah. And if MLG and W, if they see that, they're going to get them out. You know. Y'all should use red buds. Red buds are not huge. They're really pretty. There's a forest pansy that I've seen doing great around here. The regular red bud, the weeping red bud, the red one, <laughs> <laughs> the red foliage one. That I've seen a number of those planted. They're absolutely beautiful. I think the, it's called waterfall. And the white blooming red bud. Yeah, and the rising sun too. The you know red <laughs> buds are definitely, uh, and they're long lived trees too, and not big. Like I said, so that that would be a good one to go with. But also when you're planting trees in your yard, you should. They're an investment, which means. You should really keep an eye on them as they grow mm-hmm. because as much care as you can do now is going to save you money in the long run. If you're cleaning them up as they're growing, taking, crossing dead, diseased limbs mm-hmm. out, then you don't, all of a sudden they're really, really big and you've never done any care and you've got to call a uh, tree company mm-hmm. to do some things that maybe didn't have to be done if you had taken care of them when they were younger. And, and I tell you, it's so expensive. And you can tell, you, you look at any any landscape, you can tell the trees that have been taken care of mm-hmm. uh, compared to the ones that haven't. Uh, and they're absolutely beautiful. They've been thinned out. They've been properly thinned out, pruned the way they should be. Uh, and they understand that the tree, it is part of their landscape. And if you, like like I said, if you don't want to do that, then you're, you're probably better off planting some of these smaller trees like you're talking about, Veda, because one of these days when you plant a tree, a lot of them, they do get big, mm-hmm. and they do take some maintenance. They get bigger faster than you think. You always think you it's going to take forever, but it happens quickly, really. And, and let me say this real quick, and Mr. Powell, hang on. we got to go to a break, because I don't want my phone. It's, it, I'm losing power. <laughs> so let me say that uh, – well, let me go back to this, this one here. We had a text on the Mighty 990 Facebook page from Jane Overcash. She said, uh, Garrett Juice. Now, we've mentioned that product before. Garrett Juice is a water-soluble plant. It's a great product, I'm telling you. And it's got a lot of stuff in there mixed together. Mm-hmm. I think it's even got the apple cider vinegar uh, in it. But she was talking about her Her dad was named Garrett. Yeah. So she's used this Garrett Juice before, and she really loves the product. It's been around a very long time. Good product. Not as long as Super Thrive, though. Y'all hang on. We've got more to go. We'll talk to you right after the break. Good morning, gardeners. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Glad you can be with us. I'm Beta with Palladio. And I'm Kenneth with Dan West Garden Centers. And, and Jim? I'm Jim Crowder, retired and tired. <laughs> retired and tired. Yeah. I want to thank everybody for coming out to the to the um, uh, little lecture I did at Dixon on Wednesday. Mm-hmm. I had uh, 50-something people there. I'm glad, too. We talked about new perennials that are you know, should be available this and early next year. Mm-hmm. 
we talked about some unusual perennials. Uh, so it was uh, it was quite interesting. Saw a lot of good friends there too. And it, it seems like every and Mr. Paul, hang on two seconds. Every time Jim has a lecture, he he draws a crowd. Uh, yeah, he does. And I'm glad you were going to talk. You talked about unusual perennials because I was just thinking while I go on the break that I listed all the same old same old perennials, but um, I wanted to you know talk about some that we don't usually talk about that are great perennials. Well, let's go to Paul. Good morning, Paul. You're in the Mid South Garden. Good morning, Veda, Jim, and Kenneth. Hey, buddy. Hey, good morning to you, Mr. Paul, and we hate that you had to wait through the break there, but, um, man, we couldn't do anything about it. That was all right. I understand there the the avenue of commerce. And, and can I say this real quick, Mr. Paul, because I'm telling you, I love to brag about you every chance I get. I had a customer in the garden <laughs> center the other day, and he asked me, he said, Kenny, how is Mr. Paul? And I said, well, the last time I talked to him, he sounded great. He said, well, make sure that you tell him I said hello, and he misses hearing your voice on the radio. And I said, well, Paul still calls in, maybe just not every weekend like he used to, but he still calls in, and as far as I know, he's doing well. So people are talking about you, Mr. Paul. Well, speaking of that, Kenneth, I was just down at Bartlett uh, Farmer's Market to get some tomatoes and peaches, and I was looking for a watermelon, which I didn't find one. But I ran into one of our gardening friends down there that asked about y'all. Well, good. And uh, was was wondering, uh, she she said that she didn't hear me as often. I said, well, I don't call in every week like I used to. But she said, well, it was one of those things that helped her week. <clears throat> she listens to y'all on the radio every Saturday morning. And I said, well, I listen, but sometimes I just don't think I can add to the conversation, so I don't call. Well, and you said you went to the Bartlett Farmer's Market, and I've never yes. been to that one. Where is that one? It's uh, right there. Uh, at, they've, go ahead. Go ahead. It's, well, it's right there at um, basically Bartlett Boulevard stage, and they built on uh, a um, pavilion there, and oh. it's there every Saturday morning. And, Mr. Paul, is it just as stocked up as the one at the Red Barn out there at the Ag Center? Well, uh, yeah, it was pretty busy, but one of the problems that I had with this one was they didn't have but two food vendors. Mm. They, everything else was other stuff, which is fine, but they only had the lady from Middleton, which I always get tomatoes from. Right. And then there was one other vendor there, but I didn't, and there was, and they, I got a half a, I shared a half a box of peaches with another lady, and uh, I got some nice Cherokee purple tomatoes that are huge, Mm -hmm. and, uh, but they just, there was a lot of people already there, and I got there right at eight o'clock. Good Lord. Well, I'm telling you, the, t- the tomatoes are the draw. I mean, you know, I'm not going to say are. anything bad about the tomatoes that we get in the supermarket. I mean, because it's still a tomato, and I'll take it, which is better than nothing. But you start eating some of these homegrown tomatoes that these people are selling, yep. there is no comparison, Mr. Paul. And I just hope that, you know, I've got to keep my eyes on you, too, because here you are buying these fresh... <laughs> These fresh homegrown tomatoes, and you know that the tomato contest is coming up on July fifteenth. So if you start entering, I to- know, I know. If you start entering tomatoes, Mister Paul, well, I'm, I'm have to do a little research behind it. I ought to take one of these heirloom tomatoes that I got out there because it would this thing. One of them 
they was in a pint box. There was the way that she was selling them was <laughs> they was three in a box. And I mean, it was full. I bet you one of them weighs nearly a pound. Mm-hmm. They're huge. And if I go to the Red Barn today and I can't find any decent-looking tomatoes, well, I'm coming by your house, and I'll just have to buy some from you, Mr. Paul. I'd be glad to share some with you because i got three, and I won't be able to eat all of them probably before they start to turn, but I always have to have some fresh, homegrown tomatoes every year. And I, the closer it gets to July the 4th, the better the tomatoes and watermelon get. I can't say anything better. I'm telling I, I, you. I, 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 I got to ask you a question though. You know when regular tomatoes turn, they they turn purple. What's an Arkansas purple turn to? <laughs> Does it get redder? I know that. that <laughs> I guess it just goes on a sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> and Jim, I wanted to compliment you on those pictures of your lotus. Mm-hmm. Those huh? things look so perfect. They almost look like they'd been manufactured, which they have by God. But I mean, that was that picture the other day on Facebook was, I mean, I couldn't, I didn't have any words to express what that one looked like. Well, thank you. And I don't use any, any photography stuff to clear them or anything. You know, if they don't look right to me, I just chunk them. Yeah. So. Right. Well, and I'm glad you went to the Dixon that you get to see Kyle while you was out there. I did. Had a nice conversation with Kyle and then Dale and saw so many of our good long-time gardening buddies. Uh, there you go. Well, I hadn't seen Dale in forever, and I didn't even know Kyle had left the garden yeah. and gone to about, the Dixon. About six I'm weeks ago. Yeah. Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Well, well Mr. I'm glad he's over there. Well, Mr. Paul, I think next year that you definitely need to be a judge, one of the judges at the tomato contest, because you're yeah. like me. I mean, as much yeah. as I as he loves tomatoes, I'm right there with him. Well, listen, if he can't eat three purple tomatoes, he's going to have a real hard time tasting all Well, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that was the trouble that... Several years ago, we were the judge out there with Veda. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I think Jim and yeah. some other people. But uh, after you taste about five or six of them, you get to where they kind of all taste alike. <laughs> it's definitely easier to find out which one's really good. Yeah, uh, when you yeah. taste a lot. Ja- Jamie and them do a great job with that, and the Master Gardeners all. Uh, they really do a good job with that, and I'm glad to see that's continuing. Me and you both, Mr. Paul. Well, we love you to death, buddy. If we can ever do anything in this world for you, you let us know, Paul. And if you have any extra tomatoes, you call and let me know. <laughs> I'll do it. Thank you, guys. Right. Love y'all. Thank you, Mr. Paul. Yeah, see, first place is $100. Second place is $50. Third place is 25 Best overalls, 200 there's kids' activities, recipes, tomato mm-hmm. displays, ask the master gardener's table. And like Jim said, more than anything, there's those bragging rights. Right. That, that, you know, exactly. that you can't put a, a money value on that. Plus, you know? it's by the master gardeners, and the master gardeners really helps keep things going around the Mid-South area. And also, real quick, before we go to the break, Wendy Johnston, she uh, texted into the Mighty 90, um, the Mighty 990 Facebook page. She said, we uh, feed black oil sunflower seeds all year to the birds. Our Althea's usually are covered with Japanese beetles, and she noticed that this year that the northern cardinals, uh, you know, that are out eating the uh, black oil sunflower seeds, they're out, and she said they're not having really any beetles. Um, They're mostly non-existent on these Althea's. So I guess if you're feeding the birds, you're bringing the birds into your landscape, 
mm-hmm. and they indirectly, by default, are also killing or eating some of the insects that are out there, correct? I mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Birds are natural insecticides. That's why we're talking about doing diversity, because she's got diversity going on in her yard, and it's helping keep some things under control. I mean, maybe it doesn't eradicate or cure everything, but but the less you can have of anything like that, the easier it is for you to control it. So that was a good tip. So I'm saying... The uh, somebody had shared the fact that they planted sunflowers for the sunflower seeds, mm-hmm. so the birds would eat the sunflower seeds and not the tomatoes. Even though we were thinking sunflower seeds would be salty and make them more thirsty, and then they would <laughs> eat the tomatoes for the moisture. But also, it brings in the birds for the Japanese beetles. So I like to hear that good story. Let's go to a break real quick, and we'll be right back. Good morning, gardeners. Welcome back to Mid South Gardening. All right, there you know, we go. Jim's got it now. We were talking. We were talking to Mr. Paul a while ago, and, oh, and I love to pull his Do leg. The dance. You know, <laughs> I, I love Mr. Paul, and I and I love messing with him. And I keep telling Mr. Paul that I can never forget about him because of the plants that he's mm-hmm. given me. We've all heard those stories, and, and I love him for that, by the way. But there's also a plant that he didn't give me. But there was a lady that came into the garden center the other day that someone had given her. Okay, and she's like, "What?" is this devil plant and what can i do to get rid of this thing besides using a flamethrower she's i mean her mm-hmm. her Which hair wouldn't even work either her hair had gotten <laughs> frizzed her eyes were spinning and i'm like this lady you need to calm down you know <laughs> but it was chameleon plant and and i get it you know that that plant if you ever get online and start reading about <laughs> the post that people put online y'all it it, it it will blow you away. It's actually kind of comical and hilarious when you yeah. start reading about them. But they all have the same point is don't you ever, for whatever reason, ever plant this in your landscape. It smells overwhelming when you're trying to remove it in the hot sun. It's even yuckier. Oh, it's got a very like dead fish. pungent, yeah, pungent smell to it. You can almost taste it. But Kenneth could, was kind of halfway telling us a story, but not about the plant. You know, he said the lady came in and wanted to know what this devil plant was. I just looked at him and I said, so what you tell, him, yeah. tell her chameleon? to spray to kill the chameleon right. plant? You guessed it just like instantly. Jim, Jim knew exactly <laughs> what I was talking about. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and I can get it because if you look at the plant, it is a beautiful leafed ground cover. I mean, it has a great variegated leaf to it. And you're thinking, man, that is really pretty. Mm-hmm. So you understand why people plant this thing, Right. But what people don't understand is once they get it in the ground, they're never going to get it back out. I know. I had a job. lady wanted me to pull the chameleon plant out, and it was everywhere. And I had to turn it down because I knew that I would never get it out, and she would be mad at me because I couldn't get it all out. I mean, she couldn't understand the fact that some things you just can't get all out I mean, and unless they use chemicals. And that's the thing with this plant. I mean, unless you're putting this in an area that you that is contained— you know, I mean, and because if it escapes, it's, it's y'all. I'm telling you, this stuff it is it spreads so rapidly in the rhizomes that are underground. They go down 12 inches mm-hmm. deep, and there's so many of them down there that it's it's practically impossible to get rid of. Right. And then people start using you know things like Roundup, and, and it has it a hard work, time yeah. getting rid of this stuff, even even if it will actually mm-hmm. get rid of it. So I told her, I said, listen. You need to get a nice shovel or shovels. Nice shovel. Yeah. That one that feels really good in your hands, <laughs> and you need to start digging. Uh, and I need, you need to dig. You got to go down, down to get yeah. those rhizomes. And you need to try to get as much of that stuff out as you possibly can. 
And then I said, yeah, you can go in there and maybe if you start getting some re-sprouts, you know, really spray those heavy with a Roundup type product. And through process of elimination, mm-hmm. you potentially might finally get, get rid, rid of, of this it. stuff. But guys, yeah, if a frog had wings, it wouldn't bump its butt. Yeah, either, I know you know? Jim, I, that's what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, but, but you have it in a container, don't you? Or I, you've no, seen I don't it? have it. Yeah, and I have seen it done very well. Um, Me too. Where it's in like inside of a concrete um, patio with a wall oh. around it, right. you know, and there's no 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 way it can get away. within twenty or thirty feet where it can come mm-hmm. up, you know. But uh, you know, y- even when you dig it out, you're going to have some re-sprout. Um, I mean, it's doable, but it's probably going to take at least two years yeah. to Ooh. get it all out and a lot of labor. So but this you know, is, it's it's like okay, mint mint can take over, but it kind of stops when it gets <clears throat> to drier areas. <clears throat> or there's other um, like the atia. It can come up in many places when it's in wet areas, but when it kind of gets to a dry area, it starts. But this hutenia, this chameleon plant, it doesn't care. I mean, it just doesn't had, stop. If you had kudzu, you can still spray kudzu and kill it. Okay, right. That's this true. stuff. I mean, it. And we're we're bringing this up because if anybody ever offers you some, because you'll probably never find any for sale around here. I mean, I just don't think you oh, will. We used to sell it out of sixty four, but I mean anymore. <laughs> it, but. If someone offers you this plant, I just want you to understand what you're getting into. It should come with a warning label. It should. Yeah. But this uh, this lady was scratching her head, y'all, and she was calling this thing a devil plant, and she was saying words up under her breath that I could barely hear. And, I mean, she was just like, Kenny, there's got to be a way that I can get rid of this stuff. And uh, we went over all that, and as I said, it's just one of those things where if it gets entrenched, uh, it, it it is a devil to get rid. It is hard to get well, rid of. You speaking of that, every time I hear about something that's a tremendous amount of, I wonder what what was it created <clears throat> for? Is it beneficial? It must be an herb, and it is actually used um, in medicine for uh, pneumonia, hypoglycemia in Asia. It's mm. it's used for and that a lot. It's actually, pe- people and, eat it also. Yeah, I know. So. Um, Every time I see something in abundance, I'm thinking it must have a purpose. And then another thing that you can get online and start reading about, and you, there again, you'll have these crazy mixed emotions as far as the, the remarks that people leave, is, you know, uh, trying to get rid of flies. Okay? Oh, and we yeah. know that, you know, you can go out there and spray with a permethrin on the shrubs and, and the side of the house and all that. And it does a great job in, in repelling and, and killing flies. Uh, and it seems like in the last two weeks, they've just exploded. But one of the old, especially down in the South, for some reason, you'll see people get like a clear Ziploc bag. And put a penny in it. And they'll drop a penny mm-hmm. in it, Jim, and they'll fill that thing with water. Zip. Yeah. Hang it over your door. Hang it over your door. Works. And But, but Jim, you've got to get online and, and, and read about it because the experts are like, whoa, 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 hang on. There is mm-hmm. no scientific evidence whatsoever that that should yeah. work. And I'm like, I don't care what they say, if it should work or not. All I care about is it does it work. And they're saying, you know, that it looks like a hornet's nest, you know, the little hole there, which is the penny. Yeah, the Some reflection off the The penny. reflection off the, the water reflects and the well, eyes. Well, you've got a hundred eyes and you're looking at it and you see a hundred <laughs> pennies, you know. Exactly, <laughs> And they said it confuses the, the flies so they will, they go somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And I'm telling you, I've got a friend that has done that for years, and he's got one hanging by his back door with the grill and everything is, beautiful back door, uh, backyard patio, and he swears up and down that it works. Mm-hmm. 
So it's another one of those things where it is. I graduated to a newer model, though. Uh-oh. Mm-hmm. It's a wind curtain. No, <laughs> It's when you open the door, it shoots wind straight down to keep any oh, insects from yeah. coming in. You've got to be kidding me. Uh-uh. I have two of them. So Jim is uh he's gotten high tech on his That's spider. Right. You know. I've never noticed having insects come in my house. Well, really? Yeah. You you have a door open or anything? Never. Yeah, yeah, yeah I just go out the window. Oh, yeah. no. That's weird. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, a fly or two. Oh, I did have a wasp nest hatch in my house though. That happened because we had to pull all the furniture off the patio inside while the patio was being redone, and I did not know that there was a wasp nest under one of the little arms on the chair. Yeah, something Mm -hmm. that was a plant stand, and I thought we had you know checked all that out, and then one day there was a wasp in the house. You're like, okay, kill it. You know, one wasp. Then there was a couple more. I'm like, Mm -hmm. "Eh, you know, okay, yeah, wasps come in, fine. They do. They make their way in. Next day, I'm like, why? Or all these wasps in this window. Thank goodness they were all trying to get out to the window. But started looking around, and so many wasps had hatched mm-hmm. already out. So, yeah, I guess you could say I have had some insects in my house. But, it's, but y'all, you've got to read about this. The, the penny in the, in the clear Ziploc yeah. bag filled with water hanging above your back door. And, they, and they, the way they word it is, is they say it's definitely a southern thing, okay, mm-hmm. which I can get that. But some of the comments uh, that people leave, uh, it's just comical to read about it. Mm-hmm. But like I said, I mean, it, whether it works, it, I think it works, to be honest with you. I'm yeah. not saying that it's the end of all your insect problems, but any kind of little homemade thing That's that we can I'm do saying. to stay a, a step ahead. Now, any little thing that helps. Well, how about the time? Mm-hmm. Here's another thing with all the insects in my house. That I had two flower pots underneath the uh, lights on your outside patio mm-hmm. or front porch. And wintertime brought them in, went on vacation all winter. But since it was warm inside, the, all the uh, beetles, the um, June bugs hatched. And when I came back in the house, they had there was all these little tunnels in my carpet. Oh, no. And I was like, oh, what in the world is in my carpet? And I find, went down digging in it, and there was all the June bugs that had hatched when I brought it's them like in. It's like a mole in the yard. She had- yeah. Yeah. June bug little runners all through my beautiful new blue carpet. So now it's time to, to drench those, uh, you know, those pots before you bring them yeah, in in the winter right, time. Right, because this was a long time ago. So, yeah, I guess I have had some insects in my home. <laughs> so, but now there again, if you get high tech like Mister Jim, there you, we, go. you know, I love that Jim. The idea that, and let me say this real quick before we go. I know we got to leave here in just a minute. Another uh, one thing that we're seeing a lot of, of course, here is a black spot on roses. And, you know, anybody that has hybrid teas and grandiflores and floribundas and climbing roses, I mean, you know all about black spot. And it's one of those things where if you do have it, um, and we're seeing tons of it because of all the rains we had and it's starting to warm up humidity, all the reasons that we see it out there, pick as many of the leaves off as you possibly can. Get that rose as clean as you can. Get any uh, leaves that are on the ground. Get them out of there and then come back and start spraying with a fungicide and any fungicide that has black spot on the label. But you've got to spray to get rid of this black spot. All right, y'all. We've had a great time. Visit your independent garden centers. We'll have a lot of stuff going on even in the summer. We thank Palladio for being a sponsor and Herbis Systems for being one of our partners. Thank you very much, guys.